Shut up and sit down. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Lords of Pain Radio's Aftershock, this time taking a look at the final WWE pay-per-view of 2018, TLC. And, man, 2018 just kind of blew by. Like, it seems like really not very long ago we were talking about the Royal Rumble and all that comes along with it, the first-ever women's Royal Rumble, the debut of Ronda Rousey and stuff, and now here we are closing in on a year since all that went down. It's kind of... I don't know, it blew by, at least for me. Um, but yeah, we're also coming up on a year since uh, since this little partnership forged here on Aftershock, and that's that, that doesn't seem like it's been a year. At the same time, it feels like it's been much longer. Uh, of course, I'm speaking of myself, Stephen Bell, and my co-host with the most, your friend and mine, it is Samuel Plan. What is going on, my man? Well, I'm glad to know that I have the most. You do have the most. You're, you're the co-host with the most. Uh, the most what? I don't know. But <laughs> well, 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 I think it's best to leave that undefined. I, 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 you're probably right. You're probably <laughs> right about that one. I mean, you could you could throw some stuff out there, but we'll leave it out to the uh, to the listeners to decide that one. I think. But yeah, it's been almost a year, dude. Uh, in in February, isn't it? Elimination Chamber was the first. Uh, first aftershock that I did, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's coming, coming up, up fast. It certainly is. Doesn't feel like it, like you say. It's 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 whizzed by. Twenty eighteen has been a weird year, though, man. It's like it seems like the things that were going on at the beginning of the year seem like they were a very long time ago. Yeah. Tell me but about it. it. At, at the same time, though, it feels like, you know, WrestleMania was just like a month or two ago in some cases, you know? It feels like all, all of it kind of has whether for good or for bad, feels like it's blended together, you know? Mm. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's, well, it's been a weird year generally. Like, it felt like we were moving forwards and then we weren't, and it felt like we were moving forwards again and then we moved even further backwards. And So maybe that's contributed a little bit, I don't know. I mean, well, we're ending the year with the Universal Championship in the same place where it was when we started. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's, that doesn't help much. Uh, but... Yeah, uh, it, I don't know. Yeah, it's been it's been an unusual year, uh, one that I think we're going to look back on and not exactly know what to make of. I, I don't know that, you know, some of the quote unquote down years in WWE history have been good for rebuilding. You know, like you look back at 1995, which is, you know, though it's one of your personal favorite years, it is, you know, traditionally known as a pretty down year. I mean, that was kind of the bottom of the barrel for WWE in terms of, you know, making profits and, and things of that nature. Um, and they were scraping the barrel on some of the creative things, to be perfectly frank. But at the same time, that was a very strong rebuilding year, as you saw a lot of guys who were would wind up being the future of the company kind of step up. And then by the 96 Royal Rumble, you kind of had all the pieces in place for what would eventually, within a couple of years, become you know the biggest boom period in the history of professional wrestling. So maybe this will wind up being a similar year. Maybe when we look back at 2018, we'll be like, oh, well, okay, you know, by the time the 2019 Rumble rolled around, all the pieces were in place, and that's what brought us to the glory days to come. Uh, but it also just might be kind of a, a weird and wonky down year, you know? 
Well, I think it's important for people to to bear in mind that it's it, this year hasn't been as bad as last year was. When you think that it was only last year that Jinder Mahal was WWE champion for you know however many months, and before him it was Randy Orton, and before him like who can remember Bray Wyatt being WWE champion at this point? So right. it's, it's you know which is which is really super duper sad for the record. Quite yeah, absolutely. And I actually posted a column just earlier today. Uh, looking back at some of the sort of talking points that I think have defined WWE's year this year, um, and in that column, I you know I mentioned that it's it's there's been posit- there's been some real big positives this year as well as some real big negatives, and I think it's sometimes easy to forget, you know, that there's been some boons in the company this year uh, because we have a tendency to obsess over the negative stuff because the negative stuff is is often very overbearing and hard to escape. Uh, and, you know, I think it's been a weird year because we've seen uh, signs and moments of genuine progress uh, only for the bad habits to, like, come back in force uh, and sort of come back worse than they've ever been. I mean, uh, you know, Undertaker, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, all that silliness over the last sort of few months, and, um, you know, Brock Lesnar winning at WrestleMania when everyone thought he was going to lose and losing at some time to come back again and then immediately getting the Universal title when Roman Reigns had to depart. It, it's, yeah, very, very odd. But, um, you know, to be the, to be the perennial optimist, I, there's, been, there's been positives um, and hopefully we're on the verge of seeing some more of them. There's always positives if you look for them. You know, I mean, every dark cloud has a silver lining, they say, and, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, but it, I don't know. It, it, I, I, it, it's I, hard. Wonder, it's, I don't think it's just a case of silver linings. You know, there, there have been some major uh, plus points uh, for the company this year, which, you know, include things. I mean, obviously, Seth's had an incredible run with the Intercontinental title. Becky Lynch has really broken out in the last few months. They've signed Ronda Rousey, who's been a big... Uh, big thing, and and I think the, the women's wrestling in particular this year uh, has really reached, you know, that next level. Um, and again, to reference the comment I posted earlier, it's it's not it, women's wrestling isn't in a state of change or flux anymore. It's just it's become this incredible thing in the company that is free of a lot of the bad habits that's now weighing down a lot of the, the men's wrestling. You look at NXT. I mean, more people watched uh, Takeover than they did Survivor Series. So NXT is is bigger than it's ever been. They launched NXT UK this year. 205 Live has been making waves and seeing talent break onto the main roster in recent months as well. So, you know, yes, we've had, you know, Brock Lesnar is still the universal champion. And yes, you know, Bobby Lashley is for some reason back in the company and things like that. But at the same time, Daniel Bryan's come out of retirement and it took him a while, but finally he's doing interesting things. Uh, you know, women's wrestling is better than it's ever been. So, you know, not just I, I, I totally take for what you're saying, but I, you know, I think, and again, I, again, it's easy for us to lose sight of it. But the the positives of 2018 have been really big positives, not just you know sort of glimmers of hope. They've been really big positives, uh, and oh, I'm yeah. hoping. I'm, I know that you weren't saying that they weren't necessarily, but and I'm hoping that we're on the verge of a WrestleMania season that's going to bring about a few more of them. I mean, we might be on the verge of a a big shift, uh, depending on what Vince McMahon has to say tomorrow night well, on Monday Night Raw. Uh, yeah. It could just be your stock Vince coming out and placating everyone um, and making some sort of stock announcement about the Royal Rumble or something like that. 
or it could be one of those very rare but usually pretty, you know, watershed moments where Vince McMahon comes out and says something significantly meaningful. Um, you know, and, and you never really know them when they come along, like uh, like the ruthless aggression speech. Who knew that that was going to really kind of define the next like damn near decade in the company? Uh, but it did. So um, I don't know. Tomorrow night could be very interesting uh, as we shape up and see what we're headed towards in 2019. Uh, but in terms of 2018, uh, you're absolutely right. There were a lot of good things, a lot of positives that came about. Uh, Oddly enough, uh, to really kind of pull out a weird reference, I suppose, a weird wrestling reference, um, and some people might get this, most probably will not, this year has reminded me of like 2007, 2008 in TNA, um, where there was a lot of good stuff going on, and a lot of people who deserved a shot were finally getting a shot, and the women were leading the four, because, I mean, in 2007, 2008, the women were the highlight of TNA wrestling. and I think that the women were, frankly, the highlight of this year in WWE, from the Women's Rumble on through tonight. I think that the women consistently stole the show um, and even got their own show in Evolution, which was, I don't think too many people could argue, was easily one of the best shows of the year, top to bottom. Uh, so this has been a very strong year for women. Uh, it's also been a strong year for people stepping up, and, and it's, I don't know, it's, but it has been a lot of weird going on as well uh and it's i mean a lot of it is kind of it's nobody's fault you know i mean who the hell would have thought that roman reigns would announce that he has leukemia and have to leave you know um who the hell would have thought that was going to happen uh who would have thought that brock lesnar would still be in the mix at this given point in time who would have thought uh that baron corbin would finally get the opportunity to step up but then would be put in a position to where he was perhaps the most grating television character in since Vicky Guerrero, you know, I mean, just, just annoying on a weekly basis. And I mean, and I gotta be completely honest, man. Um, I've been working a lot over the last month or so. Uh, my start time at my, at my AM job has been uh, like two and three in the morning. Um, and oftentimes I just really kind of haven't been sleeping uh, upon getting home and, and whatnot. So it's, I, I have not kept up with, with WWE. Uh, this is the first time in years where I have gone weeks without watching any professional wrestling. Uh, I up until last night, I was three weeks behind on on Raw, and uh, again, to be perfectly honest, I didn't have a chance to catch up on SmackDown before this evening. Uh, I, I've missed almost a full month of SmackDown before walking into tonight's pay per view, so I genuinely had no fucking clue what was going on uh, in some instances. Now, fortunately, not too th- too many things have shifted all that drastically in the last month as it pertains to what's going on in SmackDown at least. Uh, so I, it wasn't a whole lot, but the weird thing is that like for the first time in a long time, uh, I think is a symptom of, of kind of what's been going on. I, I, I didn't really miss it. You didn't miss uh, the wrestling you mean when you were watching it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, um, and that's a weird, that's a very weird feeling. That's a, it, for somebody who has been borderline obsessed with this since childhood. Um, it, it felt very strange to to acknowledge that I was not watching it, but also not really prioritizing it enough to set aside the time. You know what I mean? Um, well, like well, like you say, I mean, it's just a sign of the times, isn't it? There, has, there hasn't been anything interesting really going on either show for some time, and that's being reflected in these these TV ratings that have, have hit you know a lower point than they've ever been in all of Raw's history, is my understanding. Um, you know, and, and you, 
you have to take into account the fact that TV habits have changed and, and stuff oh, like that. Yes. That's still that's still a significant thing for them to have dropped to their lowest ever point. Um, and you know, it, but WWE are, are, are reaping what they've sown right now because you know for years they prioritised Roman Reigns at the expense of all their other contemporary stars, and now they don't have Roman Reigns. Uh, you know, uh, to the point where they were refusing to let Dean Ambrose or Seth Rollins or you know, whoever it may be, AJ Styles or Daniel Bryan, get a big win over someone like Brock Lesnar. You know, they're, they're reaping what they've sown in terms of relying too much on, on part-time guys because it's clear that, you know, guys like The Undertaker uh, is perhaps now hitting an age where he can't even do one or two matches a year. Um, you know, and, and so that, you know, it's it's kind of, they're getting their just desserts in, in a way. And there's a, there's a part of well... you, a vindictive part of you as a fan speaking sort of in the third person, um, that, that his, it kind of feels sort of a little, um, smug about seeing that happen because it's, it's kind of like, well, what did you expect was going to happen eventually? Uh, and it's, but it's right. only the beginning of it. It's not, you know, I mean, there's still time for them to be able to pull things around and turn things around, but it means that this is the point now where they have to make the commitments they haven't been making for the last few years and, and take some risks. You know, nothing, no success in their history as a company was ever get a guaranteed success. Every single one of them was a risk at the time that they decided to go all in with something, from WrestleMania to Steve Austin to John Cena and beyond. There was never a safe bet, and yet for some reason in recent years, they've become adverse to taking a risk. You know, and I, for the life of me, I don't understand why, because that's how WWE, it was in taking risks that WWE got to be where they are today. So it baffles me well, that, they, that they won't do it. To be fair, I, I think that they think they have been taking risks, you know, Maybe. because of yeah. the pushback against Roman Reigns, and, and then they continue to push him. To them, I think that I think that they are of the opinion that Roman was and potentially may still pay off like John Cena did. You know, they they pushed John Cena and pushed John Cena and pushed John Cena against people's wishes to the point that people finally begrudgingly started respecting the guy and and loving him, you know, almost despite themselves. Um, And I think that they were kind of hopeful that that would be the case with Roman. They just went about a very different way of doing it. and a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, to John Cena's credit and to Roman's, you know, I guess discredit, I suppose, which isn't really his discredit, but you know what I mean. John, when he started getting his push, there was still bloodshed. There was still that he was able to build a an early legacy of being legitimately badass, you know, whereas Roman's kind of having to depend on, you know, the only thing he's got to prove himself against is Brock Lesnar and we all know that you know how Brock performs depends on if he wants to show up at work that night, um, and and that kind of has hamstrung him a bit. But I think more than anything, and I never thought that I would be one of these guys because I've been one of those dudes who has sat here and said, you know, uh, I've argued in favor of the Roman Reigns experience, uh, well, experiment. Pardon me, because not because I thought that Roman Reigns was so great, but because I thought that maybe people were placing too much emphasis on it. I didn't think that WWE was necessarily sacrificing other people to get Roman over. You know, uh, but this year they did. Um, this year they very blatantly did, and everything, the way that it happened within the span of about a month of each other, uh, everything really kind of wound up and bit them squarely on the ass this year. Turning Braun Strowman heel for some inexplicable reason just to try to get Roman over wound up biting them in the ass big time because then Roman has to leave. You're left with a heel Braun Strowman, then you then have to scramble to turn back babyface. 
because you're, you know, he's the most popular guy on the show. You know, uh, that really did not work out all that well for them. They, because of the fact that they had had squandered things away and maybe waited a little too long, maybe, who knows, really, it's kind of a matter of opinion, I suppose. But either way, they hot-shotted, in my opinion, they hot-shotted the Ambrose and Rollins angle. Um, It it didn't need to happen that quick. Uh, Yeah, there was the emotional impact, I suppose, of it going down on the night of Roman's announcement, but at the same time, did it really have to happen then? Wouldn't it have had the same emotional weight if they would have waited a couple of weeks or a month or something? Who's to say, I suppose? But it felt, to me, it felt hot-shotted. And that's kind of where they were left. They put so much stock into Roman, and they shoved so much crap behind Roman, and they kept that belt on Brock for so damn long so that they could make a bigger deal of putting the belt on Roman eventually – and then Roman had to leave, and suddenly they're left holding a bag full of crap. Well, uh, I mean and- that goes. I mean that that goes back years, though, as well. The thing, you know, I I recently rewatched the 2016 Royal Rumble, and when you go back and watch that, it was so painfully, obviously Dean Ambrose's night that they absolutely should have put the championship on him oh, at yeah. that point. Then he went on to wrestle Brock Lesnar, and he was so popular at the time it was painfully, obviously, should have beaten Brock Lesnar, and they would have had a guaranteed megastar in the making and they didn't because they were holding Brock Lesnar off for Roman Reigns and then you know and then it got to Wrestlemania this year uh, as as you and I both will vividly remember because we did Aftershock shortly thereafter absolutely spirits just crushed the moment came to 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 justify all of that uh, sort of hesitation and they didn't pull the trigger and Brock Lesnar won again so by the time he got to SummerSlam which really should have been you know, Seth Rollins had been the hottest thing in the company for months, and if they'd have had any, any common sense at that point, they'd have subbed Roman out for Seth in that main event and had Seth beat Brock in the same way that Ambrose would have been made if he'd have done it at WrestleMania 32. They, they decided to go with Roman again, but by that point, when Roman won, nobody cared anymore. We just all wanted it to be over and done with. So It became, uh, it, it became less about wanting Roman to win and more about wanting Brock to go the Brock fuck away. Yes. yes. Precisely. Absolutely. They drug um, it out that, too damn long. That's what I was meaning earlier when I said that you know they they sacrificed making other because they were guaranteed. I mean the irony is Ambrose would have been a guaranteed bet to if they'd have had him beat Brock at, at 32, and and same with Seth this year at SummerSlam. And those are only two guys. I mean you could have pulled the trigger on AJ last year at Survivor Series, uh, you know because AJ was still uh, you know maybe not as hot as he had been at that point, but he was still pretty hot. And I'm sure there are other examples as well. I mean, Strowman and Samoa Joe are two prominent ones from last year. Why Samoa Joe couldn't have beaten Brock in that one-on-one match? Because Joe was going in hot, or Strowman after him, you know. But they kept holding it off and holding it off. But I'm conscious we've talked about this at length on the show in the past. Well, yeah. It doesn't really have much bearing on, on what's gone on tonight, other than you know where sort of Seth is left. Um, coming out of the match with with Ambrose and stuff. Well, the bearing that it has on tonight is that we were coming into a pay-per-view this evening that saw us in a very clear lull. Um, Since the SmackDown versus Raw goings-ons of of Survivor Series that seemed somewhat thrown together, frankly, going into them due to what had happened shortly beforehand with Roman leaving and the other things – um, that felt, you know, that had the quality of the novelty of SmackDown versus Raw and some of the cool matches that resulted to really kind of lean on. Tonight, it felt like they were just pretty much leaning very heavily upon the extreme popularity of a couple of their stars and a bunch of gimmicks um, because there was really nothing else to build upon. We're in a very definitive lull between SmackDown versus Raw at Survivor Series, and yay, that's cool, and the Royal Rumbles right around the corner. This just felt like. 
we got to get a show on, and uh, what, how do we do it? Well, let's throw a bunch of gimmicks out there, um, which, I mean, TLC has always had a, a little bit of a whiff of that, but tonight it felt more defined than usual. Uh, yeah, I, I think I would agree with that, and the, the, as we break down the show, I mean... Tonight, the, tonight's, tonight's the, show felt the, like a formality. The funny, the funny thing is, as we break, and, and I'm, as we break down the show, I'll, I'll be past comment on it a bit more. But I think the odd thing is, they, you know, they rolled these gimmicks out, and they were all on the wrong matches. Bizarrely, yeah. it felt like to me. So, um, yeah, very, very strange night. And at this point, one because the card had a lot of potential. I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. The card had a lot of potential to really stand out as the beginning of a genuine transition. And I'm not sure. I mean, I've only seen it the once, and I always like to watch these shows two or three times before I form a proper opinion on them, but first impressions is it didn't really feel like much in the way of a change. No, it didn't feel like much in the way of a change. Uh, it, it was a, a good show. I mean, uh, you know, uh, match quality wise and in terms of just looking at it on paper going into it, I was, I was at least interested in what was going on. Sure. Uh, but, but I don't know this, this show felt like a formality to me. It, it felt like a, a means to an end. Like this was, okay, we got to get through this one more until we get to WrestleMania season. And maybe something good will come from that. Maybe it won't. I don't know. The reset button was pushed on a, pushed on a couple of things um, that we'll talk about over the course of this evening. Uh, but, well, let's go ahead and jump headlong into it, I suppose. But before we do, we do have to take a quick break, pay a couple bills here on Lords of Pain Radio. When we come back, we will jump into the mix and start talking about, well, the actual show itself. We'll break it down from top to bottom. TLC coming up right after this break right here. Ah, it's been a it's been a while since I since I heard that. Ah, it it feels good. It feels good. Uh, and oddly enough, I'm I'm sitting here looking, and I uh, in order to figure out exactly what year it was that uh, that women were kind of leading the charge in TNA, I, I I went to Wikipedia and looked up the beautiful people uh, because the beautiful people Velvet Sky and Angelina uh, Velvet Sky and Angelina Love they were really kind of at the the forefront of that whole thing. Um, and I, it just makes me wonder. I wonder when the last time was anybody Wikipedia'd the beautiful people, uh, mm. not not looking for the the Marilyn Manson song. <laughs> um, <laughs> just kind of an odd thought that springs to mind. The beautiful people were awesome though while they lasted. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, we had ourselves a show this evening. TLC came our way, as mentioned before, the final pay per view of 2018. And, well, we kicked things off on the pre-show. I'll go ahead and be more you know, kind of straightforward here. I did not see this match. I didn't get home in time to see this match. I, uh, I was Santa Claus uh, at my place of work for the last couple of days, for last weekend and for this weekend, both days. So I was being all Santa-y and taking pictures with various animals and whatnot. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't get home in time to see this one. So I'm going to kind of lean on you to let me know whether or not it was any good because we had – the WWE Cruiserweight Championship on the mind, buddy on the on the the line, not the mind. Uh, I guess it is on our mind at the moment. Buddy Murphy was coming out there to defend his gold against the former champion Cedric Alexander, uh, and part and parcel with not having been able to watch much wrestling here over the last month, uh, I have no idea how Cedric got into this position. Uh, did he did he, they just he, give him a shot, or did he win a tournament or something? I or? think he, he he won a couple of matches. I think against Tony Nese, who's become like. Uh, uh, Buddy Murphy's best mate on the oh, show, okay. as they have a tendency to do. Um, and the match was good. It was 
it, it was a typical Cedric Alexander match, so there wasn't much substance to it other than a few false finishes. Um, but you know, it, it was it was. I mean, it was wrestled at an interesting pace. It was very kind of. Um, it went through these explosive bursts of speedy exchanges, which was quite interesting that I hadn't seen um, before. Uh, but it was very much a, a sort of typical Cedric Alexander match. If you've seen one, you, you've seen them all. I mean, I will say that it's Five Live is making some more waves when the the crowd was chanting 205 during the match, which was nice to see. Um, that is nice. nice to hear. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it was to me just a stark reminder that that championship should have been put on Mustafa Ali a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, well, the match was I, good, uh, as I understand it. Uh, again, I, I haven't seen it. I will go back and watch it. But uh, as I understand it, didn't Mustafa Ali have a match with Daniel Bryan this last week? He did. He turned upon SmackDown Live. That's uh, a that's and, a hell of a uh, little development. Very much so, yeah, absolutely. I didn't get a chance to see the full match. By the time I got the opportunity to sit down and watch it, I couldn't find it anywhere decent to see because I don't have Sky Television, so I have to uh, source it, shall we say. Um, but uh, So unfortunately, I've not been able to see the match in full. But uh, yeah, it, pretty big, pretty big, you know, big thing really. And it caught my eye. For Ali to get that opportunity as well and to get that stage to show the wider audience what he's capable of and who he is um so yeah yeah good 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 the good things happening for till five live i'm much deserved as well oh absolutely absolutely um it says here that uh we we had a big lumbar check that murphy was able to get his foot on the ropes for yeah. uh that really kind of threw cedric off his game uh they went out to the floor cedric approaches murphy pulls him face first into the turnbuckle knocks him down with another running knee and then nails the murphy's law in the middle of the ring to go ahead and get the victory and retain his cruiserweight championship so buddy murphy still holding on to things is there any indication at the moment on 205 live who might be the kind of guy to step up i have a funny feeling that they're beginning to build ali for a big chase heading into wrestlemania sort of a year on from when he failed to capture at the end of the tournament being able to fulfill that journey at wrestlemania i think is a nice uh story for him that certainly that that would follow up nicely with them giving him the spotlight there on smackdown that would kind of you know it would Uh, but but there is a part of me that wishes he would uh transition onto one of the two main rosters but then it's kind of like well when you're on 205 Live, you're away from the spotlight of the main creative, and that's usually a good thing. So uh, I think he's, well, at he's least still currently. got a lot he can do for there's, – there's a lot he can still do for 205 Live, I think. So absolutely, I think, you know, chase the title for him heading into WrestleMania, comes out champion and has a hell of a year in 2019 as the, the anchor point of the show, which really he's been, even though he hasn't been the champion in 2018. That's the funny thing. Right, right. Uh, it, it would be nice to kind of see him get what he deserves there in terms of that, but uh, I suppose we're just going to kind of have to wait and see. Uh, at moment, though, it looks like Buddy Murphy has got a bit of a stranglehold on the Cruiserweight title, uh, so that kind of is what that is. Uh, up next on the pre-show, we had a, a ladder match, our first kind of gimmick match of the evening. It was Elias taking on Bobby Lashley. Um, this Don't one, ask again, me about I, it, Steve, because I fell asleep. You fell asleep. Okay, well, yeah. I, I didn't see it either, of course. Uh, this was apparently a ladder match for the guitar. Uh, again, I had no clue that it was coming because, um, uh, again, full disclosure, I've been watching Raw on Hulu, uh, and so I've been watching the hour-and-a-half abbreviated version, and they've cut a lot of this Elias and Bobby Lashley stuff out, which makes me sad because I kind of they cut out the um, 
when Elias turned turned babyface here a few weeks ago, a month or so ago, I suppose, um, they cut that out. So, like, he shows up the next week. They included the Elias segment because it was kind of important to the ongoing story of the show. Uh, and I'm just like, why is everyone cheering Elias? Like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> like, it was very confusing. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Elias is a babyface now. Uh, I, I, at least it's nice to see that they kind of turned into the skid and that Eli- Bobby Lashley's now a heel. Uh, it's really working for him, uh, you know, at least with – uh, Leo Rush in his in his corner because man Leo Rush is eminently hateable. Uh, I, I just I really don't like that kid. Uh, I, I kind of want to slap him in the face myself. Uh, but anywho, yeah, uh, not much to say about this one because frankly I didn't see it. Uh, Plan fell asleep, so uh, <laughs> it, it reads to me like it was. I've been reading over it as I've been talking here. It feels like it was a pretty stock match. Uh, with, of course, Rush getting involved, you know, as you would kind of anticipate. Uh, towards the end, Lashley stood up a second ladder because one was already up. He's going for the guitar. Elias comes back up, power bombs him onto a ladder, which sounds, you know, pretty impressive. Elias climbs up, but Rush climbed up there to meet him at the top. He knocked Rush down to the mat and then unhooked the guitar to get the victory. Uh, he went to hit Lashley with it afterwards, but Rush was able to jump on his back. They're double-teaming him, and what we wind up with is Lashley smashing the guitar over Elias and leaving him laying. Uh, so ultimately, even though Elias gets the victory, he kind of goes down to the guitar across the back, and it's pretty obvious that this feud is not over. Um, I would be a little more excited about that if I thought for a second that they were actually going to use this feud to kind of build Elias at the expense of Bobby Lashley, but I kind of get the feeling that the it, the opposite is going to wind up being true uh, because Bobby Lashley's a sure bet, even though Elias is one of the most organically over characters of the last few years. Um, yeah, WWE guys, WWE. Uh, so... We'll see how it develops from here. I can't say that I'm overly excited about it, but I am digging on the prospects of Elias as a baby facer over the last little bit. He's been getting some awesome reactions based on what I've seen, and the guy is just made for that role. Uh, and lastly, again, to his credit, I- I've been digging what he's doing with Rush in terms of it being effectively Healy. I still just don't enjoy watching him compete. I, I-, I-, I just don't get it. With Bobby Lashley. I never have. I've never liked Bobby Lashley. Way on back in the yeah. day. I, yeah, I've just mm-hmm. never I've never seen what supposedly it is. And for those of you out there who do get it and who do dig Lashley, more power to you. Uh, I, I'm glad you got a dude that you can enjoy. But I, I do not – I am not in your ranks. <laughs> so sorry about that. I do like Elias though. So all right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we then got the announcement that we were going to be opening the show with the finals of the Mixed Match Challenge, which uh, that, that's pretty interesting. Um, didn't really see that coming this evening, and that was where we started the show. It was the Mixed Match Challenge Season 2 Finals, uh, Jinder Mahal and Alicia Fox taking on R-Truth and Carmella. Um, so, okay, uh, that's interesting. Uh, I as I understand it, the Mixed Match Challenge uh, for the second season really kind of tanked pretty hard there on Facebook. And nobody's been watching. Um, at one point, I believe I saw some sort of report that there were like maybe only a couple hundred people watching. Uh, and that is like, oof, <laughs> that's pretty not great, man. <laughs> um, when one of my tweets is get a bit, getting a bitter social media response than a, a match from WWE, that woof. Uh, but 
Yeah, um, this was pretty fun for what it was. I, I didn't watch all of it. I kind of fast-forwarded through spots of it because I got home a little bit late, and I wanted to cut out from some of the chaff. Uh, but I did, you know, I watched enough to really kind of get an idea of what we were dealing with here, and it looked fun, frankly. It looked like a pretty fun little match. Uh, you're almost guaranteed that when you've got truth involved in something, you're going to have some fun. Same goes for Alicia Fox. Uh, gender really kind of a wet blanket on the entire thing, uh, and Carmella kind of just there. Um Carmilla was so good earlier this year, and now she's kind of settled into really kind of, I don't know that she's so much suited for the babyface role that she's in, um, but it, you know, I, I enjoy watching her in truth interact, I suppose. Um, she just kind of – she went from being a focal point to kind of an afterthought, and that's kind of unfortunate for her. Uh, but anyways, uh, we wind up towards the end of this. This uh, Truth sends gender out to the floor. Uh, Carmella winds up hitting a super kick on one of the sings. Foxy tries to take advantage of that but can't get the victory. We go back and forth until Carmella rolls Fox up into the code of silence and gets the victory. Your winners of this match and of Mixed Match Challenge Season 2 are R-Truth and Carmella. And as a result, it is confirmed that both of them will get the number 30 spots in their respective Royal Rumble matches, which is kind of cool. Um, that's, you know, that's a, that's a neat little way to try to make this mixed match challenge mean something. Uh, now, does it ultimately mean a damn thing? Well, no, not really, but you know, in, in terms of the story and, and, and all that good stuff, I was like, Hey, that, that's cool. They get number 30. I didn't know that that was going to happen, but, uh, yeah. Um, awesome. Um, and they get to our truth being his usual self. They got to take a trip anywhere in the world. Uh, but our truth already picked where they're going. WWE headquarters in Stanford, because because of course, um, they dance and stuff, and that's the end of that. Uh, did you even watch this match, or were you still asleep? <laughs> no, I I, uh, I woke up for the, the when the main show started, um, which I would say luckily, but then it started with this, which um, yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't offensive or anything. It was just kind of you know typical sort of. Do you know what? We we did Retro Shock a few I guess a couple of months back now and we did Vengeance two thousand and one and if you remember we talked about like the opening tag match yes. show and how it was just a bit of fun and, and sometimes right. views lack that these days. I guess you could put that yes. challenge match into that category. It was just a bit of fun to get the the show moving a little bit. Um and it wasn't quite up to that standard that we saw at Vengeance two thousand one, but you know, it 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 was a nice uh, kind of um, uh, change of pace uh, for a company that's become a little bit obsessive over having great matches all the time. Everything's got to be, you know, an excellent or strive to be an excellent match. Uh, and so it was nice to see something just just want to have a little bit of fun. I, I could get on board with the R Truth is the modern day Scotty Too Hottie argument. Sure. I, I yeah sure. And Carmella is the modern day Albert, I suppose. Um, Okay, uh, but <laughs> at the very least, it, yeah, I think, yeah, good, good callback there. Uh, that, that now that you mention it, it did kind of remind me of that to a degree. It was just a little bit of fun, kind of thrown into the mix uh, with some people that the crowd just really kind of digs on. You know, um, you know, truth is hard to hate. Um, so yeah, fun little thing there to start the show. It really didn't mean a whole hell of a lot, but uh, they do each get the number thirty spots in their respective rumbles. So um, good for them. I'm sure that it's going to turn into some sort of a, a comedy spot for truth, uh, but maybe Carmelo will make something of it. Who knows? Um, we shall see. 
we shall see. Uh, but we move on from there to a match that has uh, you know a little more significant ramifications. It was a triple threat match for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. We had the New Day taking on the Usos, taking on the Bar. And this was a pretty fun one. Uh, it was a, to be honest, it was a fairly stock triple threat match. Uh, but when you've got the quality of opposition scattered about the ring there that these guys, you know, uh, present, well, I mean, it's hard to have a bad match, really. Uh, the New Day, the Usos, the Bar, they're all very much quality teams, especially the Bar. Uh, you know, I, I, I think you and I may be the only ones to really kind of single out the Bar as the standout team of these three, but I genuinely feel that that is true. And I feel that they true, they proved that once again this evening. The Bar really kind of stood out to me as kind of the, the workhorses of this match. Um, and ultimately, uh, we wound up with... Um, you know, the things kind of getting mixed up between the New Day and the bar, and what we wind up with is Woods uh, coming in, got met with a big bro kick from Sheamus, and the bar hold on to the tag team titles. Uh, what were your thoughts on this match, and um, where does it look like the tag team titles are headed to you over there on SmackDown? It seems like it's a bit of a holding pattern at the moment, just in general, in tag teams. Well, I have absolutely no idea where they're headed, but, uh, I mean, Sanity have never had a, a shot at them, so that might be nice to see, but um, I actually really liked the match. I think you were right in that it, well, you know, it didn't really strive to do much in the way of anything all that innovative or new, but what I really liked about it was twofold. First of all, you had very much these three teams of the second brand extension thus far, you know, the three preeminent teams of that period in, in WWE's recent history wrestling each other, so it felt like a bit of a watershed match in that sense. But what I what I really liked about it was that the bar. It felt like the bar picked up the victory because they they were the most disciplined team uh, wrestling in the match. You know, we've seen Usos and New Day wrestle each other time and time again, and it always breaks down into the same kind of frenetic warfare where sort of the the traditional tactics of tag team wrestling uh, just go out the window because it, it turns into this sort of every man for himself type of fray. Uh, and you saw the beginnings of that happening in this match, but the bar always stuck to their game plan. And they always, right. well, it was, it was kind of like they were saying, we're not having any of this silly nonsense this time around because you're in here with us and this is serious business this time. You know, no more playground brawling. Uh, and and they kept singling out Woods, kept singling out Woods, kept singling out Woods. They wrestled with the greatest discipline. They wrestled with the best game plan. They stuck to it, and they won as a result of it. And so it, it almost felt like, uh, you know, the bar were wrestling two teams of children in a way. Um, and that's, that's yeah, I, I really appreciate that. Not just because of the, the just the creative behind that, but also because I'm, as a fan, I'm one of those fans who's, who's gotten a little bit worn out, a little bit fatigued with the Usos' New Day routine at this point. Um, and yeah. so it felt a little bit vindicating for the bar to come in and basically just outclass the other two uh, quite comfortably, I have to say. I mean, it felt like a pretty convincing victory for the bar. Um, yeah, it, it really did. Um, it, it, it felt like kind of a okay, finally, maybe, for the time being at least, the Usos and the New Day are going to be pushed out of the equation because they have perpetually been in the equation, one or the other or both, for forever 
it seems yeah. like. And that is a big reason why that tag division has just gotten so damn stale because they're quality teams. They're fantastic teams. But there's only so many times you can see a variation of the same thing over and over and over and over again until it's just going to get old. And uh, it got old a while ago. Um, the bar, uh, not exactly a breath of fresh air, I suppose, but they kind of served that role in tonight's match because it's like you said, it did threaten to break down into the kind of anything you can do, I can do better type uh, thing that we have seen between the Usos and the New Day time and again. But the bar were kind of there as a stopgap between that. They were the bar. Uh, they were, they were, you know, like no, uh, we're not doing that. Uh, we're going to kick your asses, and yeah. no amount of histrionics and high jumping and super kicks and all that stuff. None of that's going to save you. We're here to kick your asses, and that's what we're going to do. And it's ultimately what they did. Um, like you said, discipline. It came down to discipline and not just not letting the match get away from them. And yeah. they, they, they held these two teams exactly where they wanted to, and ultimately it served their purpose. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see where we go from this point forward, whether or not that is indeed the case, that the New Day and the Usos will be in the, in the mix or not be in the mix. I think that Sanity would be a nice team to step up, as you mentioned. Um, I don't even know what the hell they've been up to here recently. Uh, so I, I, don't, I don't know what the hell is going on in the SmackDown tag division at the moment uh, because it's so ill-defined that these are the only three teams that immediately jump to mind when you think about that division. Uh, which, and hell, there's let, I, don't even, I couldn't even come up with three over on Raw right now. I mean, so you've got the current tag champions who just won the straps and, and Bobby Roode and uh, – and, What's his name? Why does it escape? Chad Gable. Oh, Chad Gable. I love Chad Gable. Why couldn't I think of his name? That's probably a good – yeah, that's an example of how important that tag division is right now. But you've got the AOP, and yeah, the end. Um, there's not a lot going on over there either. Uh, this is a really low period for tag wrestling in WWE. It happens every few years. We've discussed that before here on the show. But I think that this match, as good as any, really kind of showcased that of the lot, uh, I personally would have to go with The Bar as the best of the bunch. The Revival is also on Monday Night Raw. Uh, your boy Rollins mentioned them a few weeks ago, and justifiably so. They deserve a better shake than they've been getting. Uh, but, anywho, uh, The Bar retain the SmackDown Tag Team Champions Championships. And we move forward to one of the big grudge matches of the evening. It's one that was uh, kind of – it's been going on for a little while now and uh, ramifications over the last couple of pay-per-views, um, especially the last one. It was decided that if Braun Strowman would help lead the Raw team and get all that taken care of, then he could kind of dictate his future. And part of that future was, first of all, a match against Baron Corbin and also a shot against Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship. Well – Tonight was the first step in all of that. He's getting his match against Baron Corbin. It is a TLC match. But, of course, the catch in the middle of all that is that Braun Strowman went down with an injury. Um, so, yeah, uh, the, the ramifications for this match were pretty big, at least in terms of what the creative is going to look like for Raw moving forward. If Baron Corbin would get the victory, then he would wind up being the permanent Raw general manager. And it was widely expected that he would get that victory because, again, Braun Strowman just had surgery like two weeks ago. Nobody expected him to compete in this match this evening. It was basically Baron Corbin walking out and getting himself a, a count out and, and just kind of a formality. Um, you know, he was, it, there was a reason he was calling himself the general manager elect, if you will. 
Um, but if Braun was able to somehow show up and get the victory or something, then he does indeed get his Royal Rumble title match against Brock Lesnar. So, again, what we were expecting was Baron Corbin to come out and just basically count out Braun Strowman as a formality, win by, uh, win by basically forfeit, and that would be that. But, of course, it didn't go that way. Uh, fortunately, it didn't go that way because we're now guaranteed at least a little bit of a shakeup tomorrow evening on Monday Night Raw. As Braun Strowman made his way out there, he didn't actually really do much of anything himself. He brought out all the people that Baron Corbin has wronged over the last few weeks. They proceeded to all beat the crap out of Baron Corbin, and Braun Strowman won with a foot on the chest uh, due to the count of you know uh, the referee, Heath Slater who, of course, is one of the many people that Baron Corbin has really kind of been a douchebag to. So uh, at the very least, we come out of this with, like I said, we're guaranteed to get some sort of new leadership over on Monday Night Raw, which, you know, I'm assuming we will, you know, hear about that tomorrow evening. What is that going to shape up to be? Who knows? Uh, It could be something fun and exciting. It could be something kind of stock. Uh, I mean, maybe they'll just, like, stick Kurt Angle back into the mix, or maybe that means we get to see more Stephanie, or uh, who knows? Uh, But... At the very least, Baron Corbin is ousted from his role as the general manager. And speaking of uh, Kurt Angle, he was kind of the deciding factor in all of this. When uh, Corbin tried to leave, Angle came out there and beat him up. I would presume that we'll see something between those two. But really, at this point, Corbin has made so many uh, enemies. Who the hell knows uh, who is going to want to beat the shit out of him? But yeah, um, yeah, Baron Corbin loses. Braun Strowman wins. they didn't really mention a lot about Strowman now getting the title match against Brock at, at Rumble. Um, I guess maybe because are we even sure that Braun's going to be ready to go by then? Uh, so yeah, uh, this was at least it means we get new leadership on Raw. Yeah, I mean, did, uh, so one of the things that that I wanted to see heading into TLC this year was for them to adopt. The, form, the production formula that was so successful for them at SummerSlam, which was to recognize the, the storylines and the matches that nobody was really looking forward to, to get through those quick, and then to dedicate more time to the stuff that people wanted to see, which is uh, such an obvious and simple formula that it seems odd to have to point out, but nonetheless, right. that's the age we live in. Um, and so this was obviously one of the prime examples of something to rush through and I was I was wanting to see you know like what they did with the uh, Strowman and Owens at SummerSlam where it's basically just like a, a quick glorified squash. Right. Uh, appreciating obviously the situation with Strowman's injury meant that they may have to be a little bit of shenanigans around it. But you look on, on Wikipedia at the match timings and stuff that are coming out and you, you realize this was uh, I think recorded at 16 minutes long just in terms of bell to bell time so that's not even counting. Jesus really? Um, Apparently so. Uh, and then when you realize that this was a four-hour pay-per-view, which was completely unnecessary, um, and then you look down the card and you have all these undercard matches, not one of which was under 12 minutes, and you, you kind of just sigh and go, why do you feel a need to drag all this sort of stuff out? This could have, this could have taken five minutes to get through, and instead they decided to. I mean, I almost don't trust the 16-minute thing because that seems a little much. That definitely seems a bit much because, it, man, it, it didn't feel 16 minutes long. But it, well, maybe not. But I mean, I, I did feel like it went on longer. Than it went on. Oh, it, it went on too long. They, yeah, don't get yeah, me wrong. They, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. They, they, they milked it more than they had to, um, and you know, it was. It, you, 
But look, I mean, it's done with now, isn't it? Baron Corbin no longer in power. Um, I hope we don't just move straight into the next kind of protracted GM storyline because they're just a blight on the product. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it, it was one of the positive signs that they've recognized this wasn't working. They've decided to, to call it. Um, they did announce they did announce Strowman versus Lesnar with the fancy rumble graphic later on that evening. So they seem pretty yeah, confident yeah. it's going to go ahead, I guess. Um, I don't Hopefully. know how good a thing that is for Strowman because unless he's going to win and go into WrestleMania with the title, it's going to mark the what like the third time that he's lost to fourth time that he's lost to Brock Lesnar. Um, At least this time he'd have something of an excuse. I mean, he's coming off a of surgery. I guess, yeah. Um, so, and when you think that last year, or rather, I guess earlier this year, the Royal Rumble was headlined with Braun Strowman and Universe Time Match against Brock Lesnar. Um, again, it's it's frustrating, but um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Corbin versus Strowman, bit of fluff. I mean, obviously, they used the TLC stipulation to explain away the fact that they could have outside interference, but this was one of those instances I was referring to earlier where it felt like they they they'd added the wrong stipulations to the wrong matches. This, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is indeed listed at 16 minutes. That uh, that doesn't feel right. Um, because even though it did go to go on too long, it really just doesn't feel like there was that much there. Um, it was honestly, it was a bunch of chair shots and finishers and then a pin. Like it, it, there wasn't much to it. Um, but apparently it lasted a while that I don't know. Uh, it definitely should have been shorter and a little more to the point, but it, it certainly didn't feel like it was 16 minutes long. So I guess I'll just take Wikipedia's word for it at the moment, but damn, um, either way. Uh, yeah. At the very least, we get that reset button, whether or not it proves to really be a reset button or just really kind of uh, more of the same but with a different person. Who knows? Uh, at, at this point, I'm just about kind of done with the whole general manager thing, uh, but yeah. they're obviously not. Uh, you know, The general manager, uh, evil authority figure thing should have ended a very long time ago. Yep. And, uh, you know, uh, but I have to give credit where credit is due. Everybody points to the whole Vince McMahon, Steve Austin storyline and everything. Uh, but while I've got the opportunity, hey, here's me giving, giving uh, Eric Bischoff credit for something. Uh, because, yeah, when you it, it was Eric Bischoff who really kind of started that, uh, you know, he was the he was leading the NWO before Vince McMahon was was standing against that dastardly Steve Austin. Uh, so. There we go. Thanks, Eric Bischoff. <laughs> it's been 25 years and we're still dealing with this bullshit. Uh, though it would be kind of cool if Eric Bischoff came back tomorrow night. I, I really don't think that's happening, but it'd get a pop out of me. Um, either way, uh, Baron Corbin is out and that got a pop out of me too. So uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Uh, I wish that I had faith that Braun Strowman was going to walk out of the Rumble with the championship over his shoulder, but I... Uh, at this point, I, I, I don't even fucking know, man. Uh, is Brock more valuable to them at WrestleMania in a title match, or is he more valuable to them just in a match randomly against somebody? Uh, who the hell knows at this point? It's, it's, it's hard to guess where they're going with shit like that. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. But either way, Baron Corbin loses. Braun Strowman wins. It went on too long. It was really just a bit of fluff. Uh, there was nothing to it. It was not a match. It was a segment. But uh, we go on from there to uh, what was a match. It was a tables match, as a matter of fact. It was Natalia taking on Ruby Riot, 
And uh, this one had a little bit of stank on it. Uh, this one had some some anger behind it because Ruby, of course, has been riding Natalia's ass and kind of being mean to her, um, especially really kind of playing upon the whole ha-ha, your dad's dead thing, which is classy. Um, I, I'm guessing Natty signed off on it, uh, but it, I don't know. It, it feels a little... I don't know. Stuff like that always really kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies to a degree. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't really exactly set right with me. Um, I think the only time it's been pulled off even semi-effectively was when uh, was when Punk did it to the Undertaker. Uh, because, but that's just because CM Punk was such a fucking douchebag uh, that it really kind of almost fit his character. Like you'd really buy that he would do that. Uh, Ruby Riot doesn't seem like that much of an asshole. <laughs> But I guess she is. Um, this even was to the point that Ruby had a like a fat head, like a, a, a life size cutout of the anvil uh, on a table that she was trying to throw Natty through. And um, Natty, for her part, put the other two members of the riot squad through tables. Uh, Liv Morgan, for her part, took one hell of a table bump uh, that looked like it looked like a million damn dollars. Um, this was it was a table match. Uh, it was a pretty good tables match for what it was. You know, I mean, it was probably Natty's best outing in a good little while, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, I'm sure she was fired up because her dad was kind of in the mix of this, and she wanted to honor him in some way. But it also is just due to the fact that Ruby has very quietly become like the the guaranteed workhorse of the division. If you want a good match, you slot Ruby Wright stand there, and you're going to get yourself a, a pretty decent show. Uh, and that's ultimately where we wound up with here. Natty wound up powering up, put Ruby through a, a table with a power bomb and got the victory. Uh, your thoughts on this one um, as Natty kind of got her, her revenge over Ruby in a bit of a, an odd So the, the, I was, it was a match too hard for me because it, what I was liking about it very early on when Natty was, you know, Liv Morgan went through the table and Sarah Logan went through the table um, and what I was enjoying about it was the fact that it had a very retro feel to the way it had been produced in the sense that it was coming off as a very simple, almost point being quite bare bones type of a match in the way that you would get sort of back in the 80s a lot and um, where the stories told were kept very straightforward. It was um, a good old fashioned revenge but the, match. But the action was structured in a way that just made a lot of sense. Um and I was enjoying that because, again, you know, we were talking about the opener. I think that kind of a simple mid-card match is something that sort of lacks these days as well. Uh, everything has to be, you know, workhorse-driven, um, sort of overproduced, um, which I guess is a sort of impact of, of this huge wave of indie influence that's, that's come into the company over the last half decade. Um, and I kind of miss the fact, and I think fans generally sort of no longer are able to appreciate quite so much simple, straightforward matches. So I was enjoying that. But then the second half, I felt, did start to feel a little bit overproduced when Natty brought out the table with, you know, Ruby on it, and then they did the whole exchange on the top rope and stuff. And I felt like Natty's body language was kind of all over the place. One minute she was doing the whole don't mess with my family bitch thing, which was quite compelling, and then she was stood smiling at the crowd for five minutes while she took a breather between That's Natty. That's just natty. I know it is, and it's but it's a bugbear of mine. Absolutely. Um, and so again, it resulted in you know what could have been a very straightforward and effective sort of five, six, seven minute match turned into a into a twelve minute match that 
was overlong and, and ended in an overproduced fashion, which I felt let down the first half, which I was really enjoying. So it's kind of a, a tale of two halves for me. As for sort of playing on Neidhart's uh, untimely passing, um, for trying to inject something into the into the storyline, I mean, it always feels borderline uncomfortable when they do stuff like that. Um, I guess as long as Natty signed off on it, then, then all's well, it ends well. But... Um, it's, I mean, above all else, I was just happy to see a pay-per-view card with a women with a women's women's match on it that didn't involve the championship. Oh yeah, I think that's that's something that they haven't tapped into enough. I agree with that completely. It was nice to see just a women's grudge match. Yes, that that yeah, that's that is definitely something good to take away from this, regardless of the storyline behind it and all the other stuff that went into it. Regardless of uh, Natty never once having learned how to play to the crowd, and despite the fact that she's been in this business for what fifteen or so years now, um, yeah, despite all of that, it was nice to see that. Um, it was just a good old-fashioned women's grudge match, and uh, it was right here in the middle of a pay-per-view card, so that didn't suck at all. And it was uh, it, it got the credit of getting one of the big gimmick matches of the evening. You know, there's only one tables match on the card, and these two got it. So kind of cool, uh, you know, in, in that respect. And it, it wasn't a bad match. It just kind of – the things that it suffered from were exactly what you pointed out. It really kind of – it got a little too busy towards the end, and Natty just has always had a problem with how to work the crowd. Uh, she just – she can have the crowd in the palm of her hand, and then she'll stop and play to them inexplicably. And, I mean, I don't know. Whatever. Uh, this one wound up being all right, though. I, I didn't hate it by any stretch of the imagination. I thought it was pretty good. I like both of them. Uh, right now, I really think that Ruby is – Ruby's kind of moving into that natty role. Uh, whether that's good for her or bad for her, I don't know. But um, that does this, that does seem to be the position that Ruby Riot is moving into right now. Uh, so, you know, hopefully she does some good stuff with it. I'd like to see her really get a little bit more of a, a featured role moving forward, but, uh, I guess we'll see, uh, yeah, Natty with the victory here and it, uh, we'll see what it means. Uh, we are headed towards the, the Royal Rumble. So, you know, maybe a bit of jockeying for position between these two as we move forward. Maybe this isn't quite done. Uh, I'm sure that they'll come face to face in that Royal Rumble match and, uh, we'll see how it goes from there. But speaking of grudge matches, uh, we had another one coming up here on the card. Uh, it did not have any gimmicks attached to it. It was just good old-fashioned fight between Finn Brett Balor and Drew McIntyre. Though it was basically kind of the same story that we typically get from Finn Balor in that he's the little guy fighting the big guy, and you know we're supposed to believe that Finn Balor is not good enough to get the job done, even though everybody knows that he is. Um, you know, to their credit, they told the story fairly well. Drew McIntyre is a legitimately intimidating some bitch, uh, and Balor is good at fighting from underneath. You know, I mean, that's kind of that's his bread and butter. Uh, but ultimately, what this came down to was, uh, you know, really kind of is uh, is he actually going to be able to beat Drew, or is Drew just really kind of running so hot now that he he can't be beaten? Uh, Dolph Ziggler kind of got into the mix. Uh, and wound up that kind of blew up in his face a little bit because he got beat up, a, you know, and stuff, but. Ultimately, what it boils down to is that Balor wind up getting the victory with the coup de grace, and uh, and yeah, yeah, Drew goes down in defeat. Finn Balor is your victor, and kind of is what it is to a degree. This this match felt just kind of thrown onto the card, frankly. It was a, it was a, a perfect case in point of um, because I well until Dolph Ziggler reared his ugly head, um, and honestly, I swear that anything that guy touches these days just just 
gets ruined. Um, he's that irrelevant. But I was up until his interference, I was actually really enjoying it. It was a very basic kind of, you know, size versus speed situation that we've seen a lot before. But I was just enjoying the way that they were executing it, and I thought it was a, it was a good little match turning into potentially a great little match. But I think it was also an obvious example of, you know, a, a chronic WWE, uh, I'm not even going to call it an issue, but a characteristic of theirs over recent years, which is they're able to put on, because of the raft of incredible talent they've got, they're able to put on these great mid-card matches on pay-per-view, but they can only achieve so much. They have an, a built-in glass ceiling because there's never any decent story supporting it. There's never any decent storyline going into the event that reasons away why the two are fighting. And so you only ever care to a limited extent of, okay, well, this is quite entertaining. Rather than, you know, I mean, I can't remember what match it was recently, but I was watching a match back um, from some years ago that had, there was a mid-card match that had just a, not much, but, a, you know, a simple little bit of story behind it. And it's amazing how much meaning that can inject into them what's going on in the ring and how much it can elevate what would otherwise be a rather forgettable match. So when you have that for good good mid card matches, you know then then you end up with great great pay per view. But um, obviously Drew and Finn, I wasn't even really sure why they were fighting, other than the fact that Drew didn't like the fact that Finn was a small guy. But um, you know that I, I felt like that lack of story hampered them. But generally speaking, I I enjoyed what they were doing. I well, I mean, it like, kind I of mean, visually it was very impressive the way oh, yeah. that Drew was able to just toss Finn across the ring. In a way that reminded me very much of uh, Finn's uh, first Raw, where he wrestled uh, Roman Reigns, who did a right. did a similar thing. I mean, they told a good story physically in the ring and everything. I mean, I had no problem with the match, though. I mean, uh, when Ziggler got involved, it did kind of it hurt the match more than anything else. Especially since in the aftermath of the match, it kind of looks like we're about to get some interaction between Ziggler and Balor because, I mean, yeah, Balor gets the victory and moves on to Dolph Ziggler. Is, is that a thing? Why? How, how is that a positive? Uh, but anywho. Um, but I, mean, I, will, I, will, I will say that I, I like the fact that there's a little bit of shared universe going on, that Drew has... Issues with Dolph, uh, you know, clashing now with with Finn and everything's getting mixed together. That, that I enjoy, and, oh, yeah. I, and I did get a little bit of a kick out of the backstage segment that, that Finn and Dolph did uh, a little later that showed that, that they didn't really seem to have much in the way of intention of turning Dolph back into a into a bland babyface again, which was a positive sign as well. But uh, yeah, um, definitely. I take I take your point. Well, I mean, it, the, the inherent problem with this match is that the story behind it ties directly into the whole Baron Corbin thing. It's it's all Baron Corbin is the evil leader of Raw, and Drew was kind of his henchman, and Finn Balor stood against that. So it's like it's not much of a story to go along, and it's tied into a storyline that people were just kind of inherently opposed to. So it, uh, they just didn't have any help coming into this one. Uh, they put on a good show, but if they had had an actual decent storyline to work with, then yeah, this could have been something special. Uh, and it may be again one day in the future. You know, you give it a year or two when there's some actual stakes on the line, because ultimately when you get right down to it, let's say, you know, Finn Balor and Drew McIntyre are fighting here. Well, does this help them take a step towards the Universal Championship at all? No, because the Universal Champion is not around. Um, you know, so ultimately this means nothing in terms of forward progression with, you know, on Monday Night Raw towards the championship or whatever the hell. 
uh, ultimately what it means is that, you know, okay, uh, we, we kind of vaguely somewhat paid off a feud that nobody really cared a whole hell of a lot about I mean, because it was tied into a feud that nobody gave a damn about. I mean, case in point would be, you mentioned 1995 at the top of the show. Um, and, you know, one of the go-to matches of 1995 is Bret Hart versus Jean-Pierre Lafitte from In Your House, right. uh, which was a fantastic, hard-hitting match that benefited from having a little bit of story behind it. And all the story it had behind it was that Jean-Pierre had stolen Bret Hart's uh, jacket that was a gift to him from his mother on Mother's Day, so it meant a lot to him. Um, you know, <laughs> just something, I mean, it sounds corny, but just something simple <laughs> like that. It does sound can lend what's happening. It, well, it can lend what's happening <laughs> in the ring a little bit of extra context, you know, That's and, true. It, and it, That's does, true. it does help. So next time, just have Drew steal Finn's jacket. There you go. I mean, he does have a leather jacket. He does. Um, we've, we've seen on some of the, the WWE Network things that he, you know, him and his family seem to have a tight relationship. So, yeah, that's exactly what you need to do. Like, okay, like his mom made him a special jacket. Drew steals it and does fat guy in a little coat. And, oh, my God, uh, Finn Balor is livid and is just going to have to go after him. Well, you can easily turn it into something more than that as well. I mean, if, if Finn were to wear his, his jacket with the rainbow logo on that stands as, as a symbol of his belief in equality and Drew snatches it from him, tears it up and destroys it as a symbol of uh, a different uh, uh, Oof, ethos in life, you that, can that easily is, start translating that into something broadly thematic. I, oh, I don't, I, mm, if I'm Drew McIntyre, I don't know how much I'm... Oh, <laughs> hey, I'll be a homophobe. Yeah. Drew homophobe McIntyre. I, I really don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> just using it, just using it to demonstrate a point. I'm not advocating for it to be done. Oof. Um, Although yeah. you know, wrestling. Listen, you know that I believe in pro wrestling as a serious art form capable of social commentary. Hey, so. I, it, if if they had any balls, they'd do that. Honestly, uh, they really would have used the whole Balor Club for everyone thing as a a, a launching point for something significant. Uh, but they didn't because they're scared to touch stuff like that. And as a publicly traded company and all this and all that and blah, 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 and them coming up on contract years and stuff, like, I, I get it. I get it. And, okay? and, to be, and to be fair, given how incompetent their writing seems to be, I'm kind of relieved that they wouldn't touch it. Absolutely, because you want to talk about a quick way to ruin Drew McIntyre's career. Uh, <laughs> because he would I'm, never, I'm he would never recover from that. Suddenly, I'm all for it. Oh, oh come on, man! I don't, I don't get why everybody hates on Drew McIntyre so much. Like I, people I love Drew McIntyre, and to be fair, he is slowly winning me starting to win me over, and it's thanks to he is man, he is worlds better now than he was back in his chosen one days because I wanted right. to like him back then and just couldn't just couldn't force myself to. Now that right. guy, he looks like he'd fucking kill you. But if but if shit stinks a little bit less later down the line, it's still shit. But well, I'm, I'm that's true. I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 only well I'm half joking. He's slowly winning me over, and it's thanks to matches and performances like the one he had tonight actually that showed. It was the match with Angle as well that I quite enjoyed, and it just shows a little bit of extra something about him. He's he's got a mean streak. He's, he's got a mean streak now, and I think that that does a lot for him if they'd give him something to apply it towards. If, if they gave Drew McIntyre something to really kind of sink his teeth into, I think that we could see something special from him. I just don't think we've been given that opportunity quite yet. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, it certainly looks like Drew is someone that – he. it looks like 2019 could be a significant year for him. 
um, if if the end of this year is really kind of any indication, despite the fact that he's you know put together a couple of pretty you know high profile losses in a row now. That doesn't necessarily mean that things are falling off for him. It could just mean that he's about to get pissed off and it's going to serve as a launching point. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Either way, tonight's match between him and Balor, not bad at all. There was just really kind of – there wasn't a lot behind it, and, and that didn't help it very much. Um, but it, it was certainly, I mean, two very talented men in the ring there. So, I mean, that virtually guarantees you a pretty damn fun match to watch. So, you know. And it had the little big dynamic, which, when done correctly, between two talented fellows can really do a lot. So you move on to the next match, which was a chairs match. They were really kind of playing the little big thing, too, because that's really kind of Rey Mysterio's bread and butter. Uh, and he was – man, the bread and the butter were flowing uh, like the loaves and the fishes, I suppose, this evening as Rey Mysterio took on Randy The, the bread and the butter were flowing like the loaves and the fishes. Yeah, you can write that down. That's a that's a direct quote from Stephen Bell. I, I, I'm curious as to how bread flows. It very carefully. <laughs> uh, uh, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I don't know, dude. I I, I don't have an answer for that one. It's all right, you've not I, slept I, in seven years, so I'll. I'll <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it it can flow. I mean, haven't you ever like uh, breaded something with breadcrumbs? Yeah, but it doesn't flow, though, does it? What if you're pouring it like out of a tin? No, you know, or 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 a, or then it's, a then bag. it's tumbling. It, it's tumbling. The breadcrumbs are tumbling. Tumbling That's out of the tin. Tumbling out of the tin. That's what. You're just, being, like di- you're, you're just being difficult now. You're I'm, just being difficult. <laughs> I would never be pedantic. Uh, well, Rey Mysterio and Randy Orton both would because. Ugh. Um, this wasn't bad necessarily. There were some cool spots, and that's basically what you're getting from Rey Mysterio these days is the occasional cool spot. Um, I, I had, like I said, I haven't seen SmackDown at all in the last month, basically, so I don't know how Rey Mysterio's big return is really kind of getting over. Um, I'm guessing that people are digging on him because people have really kind of always dug on Rey Mysterio, except for when he came in at number 30 instead of Daniel Bryan, <laughs> um, which really kind of, – it's funny to think back on now. But honestly, that kind of spelled the end of his WWE career there for a little. That was the death knell. Like, them booing him out of that building was like, Rey Mysterio never meant anything from that point forward until he came back here recently. <laughs> so, kind of funny to look back on that. It's a bit as, like, it's a bit like, I, I guess it's like the wrestling equivalent of when um, uh, Brick kills someone with a trident in Anchorman and has to lay low for a few years. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was just like, ooh, we got to wash that stink off of Rey Mysterio. Um, yeah, and, and I guess they successfully have done so because people seem excited to see Rey. I, I did kind of dig on the storyline coming into this, to be honest. I like that Randy Orton is really kind of like, ugh, I'm just going to... You, you, like, you like these guys? Ugh, ugh, fuck that. I'm going to kill them all. <laughs> I, I kind of dig that. I dig Randy Orton as the douchebag just taking out fan favorites um, who are maybe a bit beyond their prime. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Uh, but uh, And Rey Mysterio is certainly a hell of a follow-up to, to Jeff Hardy, if that's kind of your M.O. I mean, you, you don't get much better than that, frankly. I mean... They, as much as I love him, if they trotted out Rob Van Dam for the next victim, I think we'd, be, we'd hit the triumvirate there. That'd be perfect. Uh, but I digress. Um, Orton really kind of working Mysterio over for most of this. I really did like kind of the baseball slide, almost like a sled 
uh, on the chair that Ray did all the way to the outside of the ring. That was a pretty cool little innovative move. Um, but apart from that, it was really just kind of stock stuff. Uh, ultimately, what we wound up with was a not quite smoothly pulled off. Uh, Orton looked like he was going to try to hit the RKO onto a line of chairs that he set up, but he was being very mm-hmm. deliberate about it, which is really kind of the antithesis of what the RKO has come to mean in the last, oh, I don't know, half decade or so, ever since the out of nowhere thing became a thing. Uh, Since when does Randy Orton slowly set up the fucking RKO with a cravat, you know? Uh, But anyways, he was doing that. And Ray, of course, since he was moving at the speed of molasses, or I suppose at, you know, uh, flowing bread, uh, he was able to get out of it, shock of shocks, and ultimately kind of 619s him into position to where he's sitting in the chair. He goes and uh, takes him down and the wonky roll-up type thing that winds up getting him a three-count. So Rey Mysterio kind of gets the quick out-of-the-middle-of-nowhere victory. Randy's pretty pissed about it. Ray, for his part, does that thing that it always kind of irks me when baby faces do, where they immediately get the pinfall and then run away. <laughs> it's like, oh, I got, I got you, but oh, I'm scared shitless. Bye. <laughs> it's like, really? That's the That's the good guy thing to do, huh? Um, I mean, to be but, fair, Ray probably didn't want his, his ear getting fingered. This uh, uh why did you have to put it that way? Ew. <laughs> Ew. Ooh. It's bad enough that his mask has been getting fingered here lately. Nobody <laughs> Randy Orton fingering anything just as a nicky <laughs> thing to think about. Just this match started with with talk of bread flowing and, and we come towards the end with Randy Orton fingering things and I'm just very uncomfortable now. <laughs> I, I mean, I, to be fair, I was uncomfortable for the majority. This was a match where I actively got up and left the room for a short span because I, I couldn't possibly care less about anything in the world than I cared about this. I mean, it's 2018. Why the fuck do I care about Randy Orton and Rey Mysterio wrestling a chairs match, whatever one of them is, on a December pay-per-view? The whole thing just... I didn't understand why they were fighting in the first place. Uh, the the stipulation was stupid when it first got invented and remains stupid to this day. Uh, and the match was a colossal bore. I mean, I of those things you just mentioned, I would agree with you on all of them. But I, again, I do kind of get why they were fighting. I, I do dig Randy Orton's character right now, where he's just like, why do you love these guys so much? Fuck them. You know, I, I, mean, I, I, I kind of dig that. I think I, I would dig it if it didn't, if it wasn't attached to someone who barely felt, because Randy Orton barely feels relevant anymore. That's the problem. Yeah, if this was if Ray this Mysterio, was, if this certainly, was Ray Wyatt doing this, well, we'd have exactly, a different yeah, story. <laughs> Ray, Ray Mysterio certainly isn't relevant anymore. Jeff Hardy's. I mean, even if it was Bray Wyatt doing it, you could get away with doing it against guys like Jeff and, and Ray because you can introduce a generational aspect to it. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it's Randy Orton doing it, because the idea of it, the idea, the, the concept of that character of someone who's just sort of a bit of a sociopath, psychopath, sociopath, just enjoys hurting people that other people like, like there's, there's a lot of, of potential in that. And you could go, you could do some interesting things with that. But like I say, Randy Orton doing it to Jeff Hardy and Rey Mysterio, like, if this were 10 years ago, fine, but it's not. It's 2018, so I want to see these kind of ideas applied to the contemporary talents who aren't even, a lot of whom aren't even getting used on TV. 
You know, because they're bringing, and yet they're bringing back Jeff Hardy and they're bringing back Bobby Lashley and they're bringing back these people, you know, and it's just, it, the whole thing is, I don't want to get strained into to large, wider conversations, but the whole thing, the system's broken. And, it, you know, and so I had no interest in the match. And it, again, it was a 12-minute match that probably should have been half as long. Right. I mean, it was all about spots, uh, as is any Rey Mysterio match nowadays. Uh, and uh, it kind of is what it is. I, I, I do dig the storyline. I do also, though, wish that it was tied to somebody that wasn't named Randy Orton, uh, because he inherently kind of hamstrings anything of that sort that he's in, uh, just because, I mean, to his credit, he does seem to be at least invested since this whole storyline started. And, and he seems to be really enjoying being the methodical evil bastard, uh, which fits him. Uh, the problem is that it's just kind of it's kind of too little, too late. I, I just I, I I'm I'm struggling to find a reason to give a damn. Um, and you know, apart from that, it seems all fine. And I guess I get why other people dig it. It just didn't do a lot for me, uh, especially when you introduce the chairs uh, aspect to it. Uh, what it boils down to was there were a couple of good spots, but ultimately. It was just kind of a thing. And then you top it off with Rey Mysterio running away like a coward. Didn't really do much for me either. What am I supposed to think? Oh, that that clever Rey Mysterio. I mean, no. I mean, it it didn't make me think any more or less of Rey Mysterio here. So kind of whatever, you know. Um, If they really had any balls, if they really had any balls, and if Rey Mysterio really wanted to come back and make a difference, he'd be in 205 Live right now. Period. That's, I mean, period. That's that's the only way that Rey Mysterio could have come back and made a legitimate difference in WWE as it stands today would to be to come in and really kind of be the figurehead anchor for 205 Live, at least in terms of a recognizable face that people will invest in. Because, I mean, there are still a lot of Rey Mysterio fans out there. People will invest in him. You get him in there and have him wrestle matches against Tony Nese and against, you know, Mustafa Ali and some of those, you know, modern day quote unquote dream matches, I suppose, that you could put together. That would be the way to use Rey Mysterio in modern WWE. Obviously, he's not going to be put in that position because 205 Live is seen as a step backwards. Um, He's too big of a star for that, which is kind of bullshit, but whatever. Um, as it stands right now, we're just going to get more of this, uh, and it is what it is, and, you know, whatever, whatever. Not the most impressive match in the world, but it could have been a hell of a lot worse, I suppose. We move from that, though, to the interaction I mentioned earlier between Finn Balor and Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler and all that stuff. Well, Drew wasn't involved, but he was being talked about. Uh, Dolph kind of beat the shit out of Finn, and it looks to me like they're going to have some sort of issue with one another moving forward. Wouldn't surprise me if Drew was in the mix of that, at least for the time being, and they just kind of wind up doing some triple threaty type stuff. But we move from there to a Raw Women's Championship match. This is one we've been building to ever since Nia Jax was able to get the big victory uh, here a, a month or so ago. Uh, a couple months ago, actually, I guess, at Evolution in that Battle Royal. It was Nia Jax taking on Ronda Rousey. And uh, this one, I don't know, it had built up pretty well, I thought. It really was served quite well by the happenstance of Nia Jax being the one to break Becky Lynch's face. Um, because I, I, was, I was talking about it earlier with, uh, with my lady friend um, that – it was, you know, it, it really kind of worked out well because it seemed like the tide was kind of starting to turn against Ronda a little bit. Uh, so we saw that especially, you know, when she went up against Charlotte. Um, people were kind of cheering for Charlotte, and I think that was because she was the proxy for Becky. If it had actually been Becky, then it would have definitively been a Becky Lynch crowd, no doubt whatsoever. 
But the crowd is kind of start, the tide is kind of starting to turn a little get a bit against Ronda. So it was a perfect time to stick her in there against somebody in Nia Jax who just broke the face, literally broke the face of arguably the most popular person on either roster. Uh, pure happenstance, but it worked out for the best because Ronda Rousey is in a very clear position to be cheered. And even in that position, you could hear a few Nia Jax supporters out there. But um, this was a pretty good match for what it was. I enjoyed it more than their match that they had earlier this year. Uh, I thought that, uh, you know, Ronda gave Nia a little bit more. Um, I thought that Nia looked a damn good. But ultimately what you boiled down to was you showcased that Ronda Rousey has really kind of that fighting spirit thing going on. She's not just going to lay down and quit. She's ultimately going to keep on fighting and keep on fighting. I liked kind of her putting the little bit of sass on the end of it where she kissed the facebreaker fist before she strapped on the arm bar. Nia had to tap out. Your winner and still the Raw Women's Champion is Ronda Rousey. Um, what were your thoughts on this match, and how do you think it compared to the match they had earlier this year? I mean, I really liked the match they had earlier this year, which I thought was uh, really good. But when you go and watch it back, it becomes clear that it was it, it loses something in the rewatch because it was so much sort of, it was so effective because it was very early on in Rousey's stint and they played a lot up to the idea of she'd never wrestled outside of it, she'd never fought outside of a weight class and she was still learning the rules of the ring and all that sort of stuff. So it was very much a product of its time in terms of where it happened in, in Rousey's career. What I liked about the match tonight is that it was kind of, it wasn't presented as a direct sequel to the match they had at Money in the Bank. I don't think their Money in the Bank match was even referenced. Um, but you could easily watch it as a sequel because Rousey was more familiar with Nia. She was avoiding the power game. Um, you know, she she had developed counters for when Jack started bringing out that power game. Um, and like, like, likewise with Nia Jax, who knew who would develop means of like when she just swung Rousey into the barricade. Um, you know, and, and little moments like that where she figured out means to try and combat Rousey's um, sort of trademark moves and stuff. So I really liked it, and I thought it actually it was in terms of its duration, it was perfectly judged. It it was just long enough without going over long. Um, they told a nice little story there, and it was it proof that I think Ronda is is quite capable of of having you know, title defense of the month without it being made into some massive deal all the time, that she can just quietly get on with the business of being a pro wrestler, which I dare say has been something that we've been waiting for her to prove up to this point, because it feels like every pay-per-view match she's had up to this point has been made into this big special deal. Uh, so it was nice to see just something a bit more routine. Yeah, someone that she has faced before, but that wasn't really made a big deal of, and it's just kind of a... It was kind of stuck to a degree, but at the same time, Nia was very much presented as a threat, uh, not only because she's Nia Jax and she's just bigger and battered than everybody else, but, I mean, again, uh, her breaking Becky's face really did play a lot into this. Uh, she really was kind of hanging her hat on that at the moment, and um, that, that played into it, very much so. So, um, yeah, I liked the dynamic of this match. I liked the, I liked the feel between them. Uh, I liked the, the build to this match. I even kind of liked that Nia had, you know, backup there in Tamina. It, it, you know, I mean, it, she didn't exactly serve this huge role or anything like that, but it just felt kind of oddly fitting to the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, I, I basically dug everything about this match. Uh, you know, it wasn't great or anything like that, but it was, it was very far from bad. It was definitely a good little match. 
and Ronda keeps progressing. Uh, it seems like that is kind of the running theme with Ronda Rousey is that every time we see her, she seems like she's progressed just a little bit more. And, um, you know, she, we don't know how long she's going to be sticking around. I don't know that I ever saw what kind of contract length he, she had going on. But it is worth looking at that, you know, we are kind of coming up on, on you know, her, her year in the company, Mark. Uh, WrestleMania will mark that, and it's closer than we may think. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that progresses over the course of the next little bit, uh, especially uh, we're going to talk about Ronda. This is not the last time we're talking about Ronda Rousey. Um, so uh, we'll be discussing her a little bit later on and the potential ramifications of that. So uh, either way, good little match here tonight against Nia Jax. Uh, that was actually kind of followed by, uh, you know, uh, Becky walked up to Nia Jax backstage after, you know, they tried to get a word from Nia. She wasn't really feeling it. Uh, Becky comes walking up to her and is like, you know, hey, you remember all that stuff you said about breaking my face? And then she, like, kicked her in the gut and punched her upside the face and knocked her down and stuff. Told her to keep her name out of her mouth and then just walked off. And, of course, the entire crowd was just like, ah, fucking Becky's the shit. And Nia just had this look on her face like, dude, dude. <laughs> I can't win. To, this is not my night. <laughs> Tamita walked up and she just looked at her like motherfucker. <laughs> it was just sad night for for Night Jacks, <laughs> but uh, very effective there uh, in setting up Becky for what was to come in our main event. Uh, but before we could get to that, it was time for the WWE Championship to be on the line. AJ Styles, the former champion, taking on the new Daniel Bryan. As he's even this being is, announced. This is clearly one of those times where, like, an edict has come down from Vince McMahon and has said, anytime you refer to Daniel Bryan, you must always call him the new Daniel Bryan. Oh, absolutely. He's the new Daniel Bryan. There's the big dog Roman Reigns. There's, uh, you know, the... Do you remember, the, do you remember like, some, it was like in the build-up to SummerSlam 2016 uh, when everybody had to keep calling Finn Balor the Demon King. And it got to the point where, like, the, the phrase Demon King was being uttered about five times in a single sentence by people. And it was oh, just driving me up the wall. And this is one of those times I'm, so, I'm already sick of hearing the new. And they always inflect it the same way as well. It's never the new Daniel Bryan. It's always the new Daniel Bryan. Yes, yes. But, I mean, at least it's just one word. It's, at least it's not this marble mouth mouthful like the extraordinary man who does extraordinary <laughs> things, which is perhaps the worst catchphrase in the history of catchphrases. Oh, just so terrible. Uh, but the new Daniel Bryan was making his way out there after we've had a debate with AJ Backstyles about whether the new Daniel Bryan is any different from the old Daniel Bryan. Um yeah, uh, the new Daniel Bryan. Seriously, for, for... I'm going to fly over to Texas and slap you if you carry on. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> the new Daniel Bryan is basically, uh, for those who haven't seen any of it, is basically there's nothing new about him at all. He's the American Dragon Bryan Danielson. Um, just he's kind of an asshole. Uh, he is looking to hurt people. And tonight, I noticed in the match, maybe he's done this on SmackDown in recent weeks, but it's the first time I've seen it, and it brought a little joy to my heart. Tonight, he brought back the I got until five ref thing from back in his ROH days. I loved that. Uh, just a nice little touch from Daniel Bryan. Um, oh, pardon me, the new Daniel Bryan. And, um, and yeah, uh, this match, it, it, to be honest with you, it felt like it went on a little too long. Uh, but I... I, I 
I kind of it was weird. I agreed and disagreed with the crowd because at a certain point they started chanting "This is awesome" uh, after a simultaneous crossbody. I felt like that was almost just kind of in appreciation for the talent of both gentlemen and the fact that it had gone on for as long as it had. Um, and I can appreciate that, but and maybe it was awesome to watch live, you know. But it, at home, uh, it, it felt like it went on a little too long. Um, and uh, but it was good. I mean, it's not like it was like, oh, when is this ever going to end or anything like that. It just at, at a certain point, you're just kind of like, damn, have they been fighting for a while? <laughs> um, uh, and and indeed, they had. Uh, they they did fight for a while. What was the time on this one? Uh, Twenty three minutes. Yeah. It was the longest match of the night. Uh, so uh, almost twenty four minutes that these two went on with one another, uh, and uh, it, it it felt like it. It definitely felt like it. Um, but, yeah, quality stuff between the two of them. Uh, it boils down to, we get towards the end, um, AJ is is trying to come in there with the phenomenal forearm, but he runs into the referee as Brian, you know, kind of ducked underneath. Uh, they traded some pen attempts back and forth. What we wind up with is Brian kind of getting a spontaneous roll-up for the one, the two, and the three. So really kind of after games of one-upmanship, back and forth, back and forth, pulling out all their little tricks, what it boiled down to was really who kind of had the last, you know, little move in their arsenal. And it wound up being Daniel Bryan getting a roll up a bit anticlimactic, to be honest with you. Uh, but at least it didn't turn into 55 finishers, which this match very, I was afraid that this match yeah. was going to turn into. I, I was terrified yeah. that we were going to get knees to faces and phenomenal forearms and, you know, yeah. springboard four fifties and all of that stuff. Um, you know, we did get the springboard 450, but that's rarely a finisher. But you know what I mean? I, I was yeah. really worrying that this was just going to be a, a finisher fest, and it didn't turn into that. Um, so credit to them for that. Um, and Daniel Bryan's always been good about stuff like that. You know, he doesn't – though he has a very indie style, of course, because uh, he, he carries the the mark of being perhaps the indie guy. He has never quite been one to adhere to that indie mentality uh, of a professional wrestling match. So credit to him for that. But uh, I don't know how much you've seen from back in the day, but this was very much Dan- Brian Danielson circa 2006 or so. Well, I mean, I've never, I've never seen um, uh, Daniel Bryan sort of, uh, well, I've seen, I've seen dribs and drabs of the stuff he was doing sort of on the indie circuit. And in the early 2000s, like I think I've seen a couple of the matches he did with, uh, Kenta in the sort of the mid noughties and things like that. I've seen a couple of the matches with Tyler Black, um, so I I wouldn't really be able to comment on, uh, you know, the sort of the American Dragon thing. Though I did note that he had uh, dragon symbols on his knee pads. He um, did, which was I thought quite a telling uh, telling thing. And it'd be cool if they did resurrect that nickname for him a little bit. Whether they do or not, I don't know. But um, I. I actually really enjoyed it uh, in a way that I wasn't expecting to because oftentimes, and I've said this before on The Pond, I've said it on on Sports Entertainment Day, I might have even said it here on Aftershock, uh, a lot of the time I find that Daniel Bryan's matches uh, are too clinical, that they lack a certain sort of passion or a certain kind of, of passion. Certainly he lacks no passion as a performer. But, um, you know, the most succinct demonstration I can give you is, is I prefer the CM Punk Brock Lesnar match at SummerSlam 2013 to the John Cena Daniel Bryan match because the Punk Lesnar match feels a little uh, like it has a little more soul to it than the Cena Bryan match does. 
Um, so I always feel like Brian's matches leave me feeling uh, impressed, but emotionally a little cold. Um, this wasn't the case. I actually thought that there was a, a lot of character inflection in there um, in a way that has been really only enabled by this recent character turn of his. Uh, it felt very much like a match specific to its storyline, which is something we don't see anywhere near enough in WWE. Too often, uh, pay-per-view matches feel like it could be on the end of any given storyline at any given time. So it was nice that it felt specific to um, its build-up as well. Um, the match itself, I thought, was really good. The way it was, you know, oh, yeah. it was just the sort of some of the stuff they were doing in and around around the ring, particularly. Like I loved the uh, phenomenal forearm from the timekeeper's area on the outside. Little moments like that. I also liked the fact that um, when they weren't brawling, when it was sort of more more technical exchanges, um, that AJ Styles would do stuff that in any other given match against any other given opponent would probably land, but because he was in there with Brian and Brian has as deep an offensive arsenal as AJ Styles does, Brian was able to come out with, with counters um, which was really cool um, so generally speaking I really enjoyed it I personally didn't feel like it did go on too long I thought it was it was fine in terms of I'm glad it didn't go long, go longer, don't get me wrong, um, I didn't by any means think it should be longer, but I, I never felt like I was bored watching it uh, and I never felt like it overstayed its welcome wasn't too much of a fan of the surprise pinfall conclusion, but it, I guess what matters to me more is where they go next. If there's a follow-up to it, then fine. But I never like it when they end a feud with like a surprise pinfall win um, because right. that, it just it feels like a like I'm being cheated out of a proper ending then to a story. So it depends where they go next with it. But generally speaking, I I really enjoyed it, and what I liked most of all in retrospect is that it was the first of three very different main event matches, which I really liked as well. But all the th- I felt like the three main events all complemented one another. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's very true. Uh, the All back to back to back, they were very different matches and told very different stories and, and did good jobs uh, in all three cases, I thought. Yeah. This one really kind of set the, you know, set the pace for that. Uh, they did tell a great story here. It is very, I don't know, it, it still feels weird, that Daniel Bryan is like the bad guy in all of this. Uh, but yeah. at the same time, it also, I, I like the reasoning behind it. Uh, and, you know, again, I haven't really, I'm looking forward now to kind of going back and watching some of those promos that Daniel has cut in the build up to this. But in the video package, the always quality video package that they put together for this, I was digging his reasoning behind it. It's like, you know, I, I announced I had to leave and you guys were sad and everything, but ultimately you just moved on to another guy. Um, and, and he kind of, you know, got, got a little bit hurt by that and really, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about the whole, the announcers really kind of trying to push it as, oh, everything that he said since he came back has been yeah. a lie. Because I, mean, I, I, I didn't, I, I don't know what Daniel has said in the ring, but I didn't gather that from any of the promos they put in the pre I, the package. I, I mean, I've only seen sort of YouTube clips because I don't really have time to always watch the full episodes of TV, but uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I was actually sat there listening to them thinking, you're, you, you're sort of butchering the character development here, which it, it hasn't, right. to me, it hasn't felt like that at all. It hasn't felt like he's been lying or he's been disingenuine or anything. It feels, it feels, like, it feels like a breaking like, point. Yeah, I've, I've read it as almost like a post-traumatic stress type situation in that he hasn't been able to adequately process all of the pent-up emotions and frustrations he's had 
from the experience of being forced to retire for two years and coming back and it not being quite the magical ride that perhaps everybody had hoped it would be since he came back because he'd been locked in these you know, rivalries with people that he's not been able to get away from and stuff. So, like you say, breaking point, it's felt more like something's just snapped in his head than than he's been lying all this time about, you know, his affection for the yeah, family that's, and stuff. Like, that feels too, like a misjudgment. It is, and that's too that's too stock. That's too simple. Yeah. That's too... Well, that's WWE. They don't, you know, it's why I do alternative pre-shows on sports entertainment is dead now because they're unable to think outside the box anymore, it feels like. It's always stopped. It's just just real lame. It's just real lame. It's painting it into a corner that it doesn't need to be in where this whole Daniel Bryan thing should really be kind of, you know, 1995 is going to be getting a lot of play this evening, but it should be painted (laughs) kind of in the same light as when, uh, when Bob Backlund, uh, came yeah, after came, came after Bret Hart for the world championship. He he didn't freak out or wasn't that Bob Backlund had been lying since his return at the '93 Royal Rumble or anything like that. It was just that Bob Backlund. He he had he had worked so hard to just try to become relevant again. It really kind of had not played out in his favor, and he eventually was just like fuck it. And went nuts. <laughs> and what? And what? Do you know what's fascinating about that is a lot of the the Bob Backlund stuff was based on um, sort of the disrespectful generation below him and stuff, which is not that far away from the kind of uh, holier than thou act Daniel Bryan's doing at the minute, where it's all about you. You know, you're all consumers and capitalists and don't care about the world around you. So it's right. totally, it's not that far off. No, no, it's a little less cheesy and weird than Bob Backlund wanting to become president and shit, which is what yeah. happened, you know, shortly after the feud with Brett. But I think it does tie in a lot with that era. That that era of Bob Backlund does kind of get glossed over a lot uh, because the president stuff came so shortly afterwards, and it was way over the top and stupid, frankly. Uh, but that era where Bob just kind of wigged out that feels a little more akin to what Daniel Bryan should be presented as right now instead of just, oh, he's been lying since he came back. I can't believe that he lied to us all, and oh, man, fuck him. You know, it's it's just a little too simple. It's like they've got a box of of preset story concepts, and and everything has to be attached to one of those. And this is the one that they've decided is, and it's just like, no, just, just think a little bit more originally about what's going on. Because what purpose does that serve? What purpose does it serve to tell everybody that, oh, he was lying to us, that yeah. he was glad to be back and he appreciated us standing behind him for the two years he's been out? Like, what purpose does that serve for Daniel Bryan? How in the world would that have helped him to get to the WWE Championship if that is now being presented as his one true motivation? How does that serve that end? It doesn't. Yeah. You know, it doesn't serve it at all. So why would he do it? It's just kind of. It's dumb, uh, and it, it's oversimplifying things, lowest common denominator bullshit. The, the, why can't they just let the man and the character have a little bit of nuance to it uh, and and let it be what it is? It, it's Daniel Bryan got tired of playing the game, you know? Um, and there you go. It's not that dissimilar from what Shinsuke Nakamura did earlier this year, to be honest. Uh, so whatever. Um, but the match was good stuff. Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles, I mean, you got those two in the ring, you're going to have a good time, okay? Uh, there's, there's no going wrong with that. So I'm interested to see how it uh, progresses and moves forward. I am with you in hoping that this is not the end between those two because uh, it certainly deserves more than just a simple kind of roll-up victory at the end there. 
Uh, if this goes typical stock WWE, they got one more match. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it all breaks down. Um, moving on, though, uh, we had Ronda Rousey and Natalia backstage. Uh, the we we get asked. Actually, Natty was just kind of brushed off, frankly, because they wanted to talk to Rousey, and was she was asked about Charlotte. And she was like, payback's a bitch, and I'm the baddest one on the planet. And then she just kind of walks off. So we get the indication that she's not done with Charlotte. And, well, it just so happens that Charlotte's in the building this evening, so we'll see how that works out. Um, We then get the big video package to detail what has gone on between Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. And it's time for that match. It is for the Intercontinental Championship. It is the grudge match of grudge matches here this evening. It is Dean Ambrose taking on Seth Rollins. And uh, what I have noticed over the last uh, few weeks, uh, actually last night, because that's when I played catch-up on Raw over the last few weeks, is that Dean Ambrose has gone from the guy that everybody compares to the Joker to he's he's a little more Bane-y here lately, even down to <laughs> buying a Bane jacket um, which and wearing a mask. So, okay, um, right on. <laughs> I guess that makes Seth Rollins Batman, which... I, I, oh, Seth is totally Batman. Oh, God, no. He, Seth Rollins is not Batman. <laughs> Seth Rollins is totally Batman. Oh, oh, no, um, oh. That's a debate for another day. Um, hmm. Dean, um, I, maybe Nightwing. <laughs> maybe we Nightwing. Um, Just accept yeah, it. We, oh, we've got to. No, no, not accept it, but yep, move on. We've accepted it. Seth no, is Batman. It's, uh, it's, no, Seth, Seth is Batman. Is not Bat- no, he's not. Dean uh-huh. is no. And we're moving on. No. I love the video package, no. by the way. For oh, the yeah. I I the video package was, was, <laughs> was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, it was a good video package. Um, <laughs> this is exactly what you anticipated that it would be, of course. Uh, it's, it's two guys who... <sighs> I I just got to call a spade a spade. Something about it ain't setting right with me. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that you've been giving it some praise and stuff like that because, of course, you would. Uh, you're invested in all of these well, characters and, and, and everything that's gone on with them for years and years and years. And I can understand uh, even almost cognitively bending it into something that uh, <laughs> that that serves what you need it to be. But uh, just – I've had a little bit of separation from it, you know, uh, just because I have been so busy and I haven't been able to watch it in real time and, and I haven't been able to form a true opinion on it as it goes down. Uh, I've kind of had some gaps in the middle there where I get to think about things and kind of figure out how I feel about it before I move on to the next thing. Um, and it, it, it does feel rushed. Um, it feels like it came out of nowhere and that they didn't give us an honest explanation as to why it happened. Um, I do not buy that Dean Ambrose spontaneously out of the middle of nowhere decided that the shield was holding him back. I don't buy it. Um, it I mean, it, it just ring. It feels disingenuous to me. Uh, it feels like there needs to be more to it. Uh, there needs to be something meatier behind it. What it needs to be is the thing that they keep hinting towards. And that is that Dean Ambrose is pissed off that Seth Rollins kept calling him a fucking lunatic, but they haven't given much lip service to that. However, Dean says it every time they're in the ring with one another. Um, it's I, I, Something about this is not setting with me the way that I wanted it to settle with me because, man, I've been looking forward to this just as much as you have. It, something about it's not clicking for me, though, and I don't know what it is. What about the match? The match quality. I mean, it's Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. I mean, okay. 
How do well, you go wrong with that? Uh, it, it, it was okay. definitely quality, and I liked the part that Dean played in it. Kind of it, Dean just. I don't. He's got a certain arrogance about him right now that I'm very much enjoying because he's like, "Oh, Seth Rollins, the man who can do no wrong." Well, I know exactly how to push your buttons, and I know exactly how to beat your ass. And then he keeps doing it, and I love that. <laughs> I mean, there's something about that no. that I really love. Uh, it's because I mean, I have nothing against Rollins, of course. I'm not as over the moon with him as you are, of course. Uh, but I, of course, have nothing against Seth Rollins. But it does eventually kind of get old to see somebody who is kind of, I don't know. He's like the he's like the high school quarterback who can't lose a fucking game. You know, eventually you just kind of want to see somebody knock the shit out of him. And Dean Ambrose well, is the perfect guy. <laughs> well, in Seth's defense, I mean, he spent most of the summer losing to Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre until Dean came back to help him win. So. Um, sure. You know, it's it, he has had his his moments of failure this year. Um, well, I mean, I mean, in terms of just kind of also, the, the, the mentality surrounding him as a, Seth Rollins has been like wrestling Jesus this year in the minds of just about every fan that you would talk to. Well, he is wrestling Jesus, that's why. But um, we'll uh, move swiftly. So now I've compared him to Batman and Jesus. Uh, those two two things aren't that dissimilar, frankly. But uh, <laughs> but again, we'll move on. Absolutely, we're getting into yeah. Let's move on. Um, I think just first of all, in, in regards to what you were saying about um, the storyline, Dean Ambrose's turn and stuff, I think there was definitely a sense of them moving it up because of what happened with with Roman, undoubtedly. Yeah. Um, I I think it it works well enough because it had been hinted at during the Dogs of War feud with the Shield. Um, but also, this is a this is something that's rooted in years and years and years of uh, of an evolving relationship um, between Seth and Dean. It's not like you know, it's nothing that happens between Seth and Dean is incidental. It's all always linked to stuff that's come before in their recent and distant past together, uh, and indeed, uh, with Maverick's help, I've just spent the last three weeks on Sports Entertainment is Dead over the course of uh, essentially two and a half hours exploring that entire relationship from when they started in FCW up until where they left off heading into TLC this year. Um, the other thing is WWE, and I don't know if you've had a chance to check it out, Steve, did release uh, a documentary under the title Chronicle uh, that 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 is uh, largely in-universe, actually. It's largely done... Uh, from a fictional point of view in terms of Ambrose's character and documents his psyche from basically when Seth contacts him to come back for SummerSlam all the way through to the weeks following his betrayal of Seth on Raw the night that Roman Reigns announced he had to go away and battle his leukemia. Um, and so if you are after something meeting and you haven't checked that documentary out, go and if you get the time at some point, um, go and watch that because that certainly fleshes out to a far greater degree the mentality going on with Dean. But the important thing to understand with Dean's character as well is that he's a complex guy and he doesn't even fully understand his own emotions. So we're never going to fully understand the reasoning behind any of his actions. And I know that might sound like a bit of a cop-out, but it's true. He's, you know, the character is one of very complex well, he's, he's emotional unstable. turmoil. Absolutely, he's unstable. And excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, I'm getting excited. Um, so, uh, 
so yeah, so but I can I appreciate where you're coming from. Obviously, like you say, it's it's a storyline and a relationship that I am more invested in than I've ever been invested in anything else uh, I've ever witnessed as a wrestling fan. So uh, of course I, I I largely disagree, but I I see where you're coming from. Well, but, I mean, but, it's 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 that investment in it because I think everybody who's been watching over the last few years shares that mentality to some degree. You know, maybe not an extreme degree, but on some level. Everybody was interested in where this relationship went, um, and we all hoped that it would eventually wind up here with something meaty and and good and 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 just something acrimonious and 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 just something you know something big. Um, and, well, I mean, and, ultimately, and, without without wanting to sound sort of, I, I genuinely don't want to sound smart smart aleck here or anything, but if you haven't been watching the weekly TV, it might feel a little flimsier than it would otherwise feel if you'd have been able to check out Raw and stuff. Well, I mean, I, mean, I have, I, though. That's the thing. I mean, I, I am now officially caught up on Monday Night Raw. I'm not caught up on SmackDown. I've missed a month of it. But but I made sure to watch all of Raw, and a good portion of that was because I wanted to catch up on this storyline to see if it finally hooked me. And it just – I think maybe it's that Roman's not there. It feels like a piece is missing, or I, I – at the same time, I'm kind of glad that Roman's not there, not for the reasons that it happened, of course, but – it gives them a little time to breathe without having to explain why Roman isn't going after Dean uh, or something. Uh, it just—I don't know. It—it—it feels something. It feels rushed, and I think that is really, I guess, putting my finger on the issue is that it—it it feels like they rushed it instead of letting it develop naturally in the way that I feel it deserved. Okay. Well, ultimately, we'll just have to agree to disagree then. I mean, the the. The match tonight, I thought, was tremendous. Oh, the match uh, was great. And I loved the ending, I, especially. I was, it, 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 again, boiled down to, like I said before, here's Rollins being, you know, up on his high horse to some degree. He's got Dean's face in his hands, and he's talking all about, like, this is for Roman and shit like that. And then Dean just, you know, waits for what he knows is coming. He's going to play to the crowd. He's going to go for that stomp, but he ain't going to get it because he's getting some dirty deeds. Like, Ambrose has got his number. If anybody has his number, it's Dean Ambrose, and I love that. I was I was frustrated with the live crowd um, chanting "This is boring" and and uh, booing them. Um, I can understand why because Dean is Dean's style in the ring isn't fashionable. Um, it's very old school, very cerebral, very much up my street. I mean, I love it. I love his matches. Because they are uh, much more like you know they are a lot like Bret Hart matches. Um, well, they're they're a lot like they're a lot like Jake Roberts matches. Well, they're a, they're a lot like psychological, uh, psychology heavy storytelling, yeah. long form stories, and and that build slowly. Um, and unfortunately, that's not what's in fashion at the minute. What's in fashion at the minute is going at a hundred million miles an hour for thirty minutes. And I, I say that it might sound like I'm being contemptuous. I'm genuinely not. I'm just making an observation that what's popular today is the faster-paced, you know, false finish heavy style of match uh, that isn't Ambrose's wheelhouse. So it doesn't shock me that a lot of the time crowds don't really dig his matches as much as they might dig other matches. Um, and it was a shame that I think people got a little bit fidgety with this one tonight because I thought from a psychological perspective, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, and, you know, the whole um, fist bump thing, 
uh, where he where he you know when Rollins was charging at him and just shot up and held his fist out and stuff uh, was was a fantastic uh, touch. Um, I've seen I mean I've seen people online being critical of the fact that Seth was selling the knee again and, and being all smart ass about it. So oh, the injury was two years ago and stuff. Uh, and I, you know I mean that I just find that to be a bit petty to be honest. It's you know I mean it's it's nothing new when when Angle was wrestling full time. They'd often make a point about his neck, past neck injuries, and when Austin was wrestling about his past neck injuries and stuff, and it's it's an effective storytelling tool, and it works well, and he and he uses it well, and it makes sense that Ambrose would target that as well because these two, like you said, Ambrose has his number. These two know each other better than they know even themselves, I would venture, um, and so of course he's going to go after what is the weak point in Rollins' physical. Uh, Rollins' body, especially because Rollins is a high-flying dude. He zips around the ring, he jumps around the ring, he's dangerous when he's picking the pace up. So, of course, regardless of whether he's had an injury on, to his knee in the past or not, you're always going to target the leg of someone like that because it right. grounds them. Um, well, Dean Ambrose if is... If you're a ground-and-pound wrestler like exactly. Ambrose as well. So, yeah, Dean know, Ambrose is very much of the opinion, and quite possibly rightly so, that if you can take away the speed and high-flying, if it comes down to a punching fight you know, just a punching match, then he's got it. Absolutely. Uh, and one of the things that, so as I mentioned, Mav and I have been exploring this relationship of theirs over the course of three episodes of Sports Entertainment is Dead in recent weeks. Uh, and one of the things that we've been discussing is, is um, from an in-universe perspective, what makes Rollins so dangerous in the ring is this ability seemingly has to be thinking you know, being the architect, to be able to think sort of 10, 12 steps ahead of his opponent. And what was brilliant about the match tonight and, as you said, Ambrose had his number, was that Ambrose knew exactly how to nullify that um, vision, if you like to call it vision. He knew how to cloud it, which was to, you know, have Rollins overwhelmed by all of these emotions. One of the brilliant things about the build-up, I feel, has been that Ambrose has been very dismissive about all of the emotional issues that Rollins has brought into it. So, like, he was... Very, dis- I think one of the interviews asked him at one point about it might have even been on the Chronicle actually um, about how he could have betrayed Rollins on the night Roman announced his leukemia and Ambrose just very flippantly was like well we won the tag titles didn't we uh, and that was it you know so to him this isn't really this doesn't seem to be an emotional issue in the same sense it is for Seth and he's used that to his advantage and that's how he won tonight and by the way I absolutely adored the fact that he hit one dirty deeds and that was it Right. It didn't take 15. I I, I wish more matches would end like that. You know, just one dirty deeds, one finisher, and it's finished. Right. And because it happened so suddenly and it caught him off guard and it was just at the the perfectly right time that, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah, that that all really kind of helped sell the story more than anything else was that Dean knew exactly when to nail him. Um, And and he did. Absolutely. And one of the things I adored most was Dean's reaction after he won which was so sedate and simple and kind of superior. You know, he wasn't running around the ring celebrating. He wasn't rubbing it in Rollins' face. He just sat there, knelt there, sorry, held out his hands, took the IC title in it, and there was this sort of almost sense of I told you so about him. Right. He in promo after Royal Rumble 92 where he's like, we, you know, we don't want to say we told you so, but we told you so. It was like that, but without any words. And I absolutely loved that sense of superiority he had after, he, after he'd won. Uh, and basically done what he'd promised to do. On the critical side, just to give a balanced view, a, a lot of Ambrose Rollins matches are wrestled at a very steady pace for a large portion, and then will build faster to a conclusion at the far end. 
I did feel like this felt like it was at a pedestrian pace. It never seemed like it, it changed pace. It felt like it was at one pace all the way through. So I can yeah. see why that may have lost some people's interest because it never seemed to really kick into that next gear that we're used to seeing from them and that we know certainly Rollins can kick into at any given time. And that usually marks the aspect of a, of a great match. So I don't think this was by any means near their best. You know, peak Ambrose and Rollins to me is their FCW Ironman match, their ladder match in 2015, the two TV matches they had for the title in 2016. But it was certainly still a very, very good match, just not necessarily their best, I think. And um, we're going to be seeing them do this for probably the first half of 2019 at the very least. So, I mean, this this was not exactly set up to be like the end-all, be-all Rollins versus Ambrose match. This was just the first in this set, so... I mean, maybe the only one, because ultimately Rollins now doesn't... I mean, you might imagine that he has a rematch coming up, but you would think that this sets him up for a nice, sweet run in the Rumble if rumors of him headlining Mania with Lesnar come to fruition. Well, I mean, there's been just as many rumors flying around that The Rock was going to win the Royal Rumble. So, I mean, who the hell knows at this point? Meltzer has debunked those recently. Well, you know, I mean, still, it it is what it is. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it... Ambrose certainly deserves his share of the spotlight. I'll put it oh, that absolutely. way. Oh, absolutely. I'm uh, not saying he doesn't. No, oh, no, no. I'm, I know that you're not saying that. I'm just saying that, you know, just kind of the conclusion of this match with him winning the Intercontinental Championship, which was almost an afterthought in all of this. You know, the grudge match took up so much that you almost forget it was for the IC title. Mm-hmm. Um, and which was the perfect backdrop, by the way, as well. Oh, yeah. Ambrose really, with Owens, kick-started the whole renaissance of the Intercontinental Championship that guys like Miz and Rollins have gotten all the credit for. So it was it was the perfect backdrop for the match as well. And I like that Ambrose has this title now, and it's one more thing to just kind of lord over Seth Rollins, and you know, and and it's one more talking point for him as well because at the end of the day, who was the first member of the Shield to hit that Triple Crown? Well, that was Dean Ambrose. Uh, you know, who is on paper actually the most successful member of the Shield? Well, again, that would be Dean Ambrose. Um, and yet well, he's, he's kind of consistently overlooked by everybody to some degree, you know, in favor of the wrestling Jesus that is Seth Rollins and, of course, the hand-picked, you know, champion of the company in, in Roman Reigns. Ambrose has been almost the afterthought. I'm speaking from his perspective here, but also to a degree kind of in reality – he has kind of been the afterthought, and when in reality he's been maybe the most consistent one of the bunch, you know? Um, you know exactly what I mean, you're getting from always, Dean Ambrose. It's always worth remembering that the one time they've had a triple threat match, Dean Ambrose went in as champion and came out as champion. Sure did. Sure um, did. So, and, and I think pretty much every time him and Seth have wrestled, Dean has pretty much won, and the reasons he's lost is because he got, you know, in 2015 for 2014 when Seth was with the authority, it was because he kept getting screwed. Not because yeah. that kept getting the better of you. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Ed, just one last point on this before we move on to the last match, which is a hearty fuck you to Corey Graves, uh, uh, making, you know, immediately jumping onto the whole uh, Renee's, Dean Ambrose's wife thing on commentary and, and basically suffocating the match with absolute that has that had nothing to do with anything. That's been going on for a couple of weeks on commentary based on what I've heard on, on Raw and stuff. They keep asking her, and I'm of two minds on it because you have to ask her. But at the same time, it's it's like uh, – it, I don't know how you're supposed to approach that and not have Renee Young sound like an asshole. Well, it's not so much that, that or even that they broached it. It's the fact that he brought it up, and then he just – And then he wouldn't leave it alone. For about 10 minutes into the match. Right. And yeah, it he, was just, just, he would not shut like up. 
Exactly. It's like you've, you've made, you stop trying to be witty Mr. Quips and just get on with doing your job. Except her, answer, the match. except her answer at face value. I, I don't know what's going on in Dean's head. We don't talk about this when we're at home. Accept that for what it is and just let it be. Uh, exactly. but, but instead it was beaten into the dirt. Uh, for those of you listening live, uh, we're about to cut out on you guys, unfortunately, but we are going to continue on a little bit. Those of you listening after the fact, uh, downloading and stuff afterwards in the archives, you'll hear the entire show. Uh, but yeah, we are about to talk about the main event of the evening. It was a triple threat for the Women's Championship, a uh, TLC match from the SmackDown side of things. And we are going to talk about that and wrap up this show here in just a moment, right after we take a quick break and do this right here. Haven't heard that in a while. Hmm. Uh, well, where the hell is Bray Wyatt? Uh, he, he came. He came back at a house show or something recently, didn't he? I don't know, but I tell you now that I reckon we won't see him till the night of the Royal Rumble. He'll be. He'll be one of the surprise return Royal. If Rumble they're people. smart, if they're fucking smart, that's what they'll do. At, at least it'll mean something then, kind of, sorta. Uh, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. That's a guy who has gotten the short end of the stick lately, I'll tell you that. For as much as people might think, oh, Dean Ambrose has been overlooked or whatever, no, nobody has been as overlooked as Bray Wyatt. Uh, but I don't I would, I tell you what, I would, just off the top of my head right now, I would love for them to revisit Ambrose versus Wyatt, but with Wyatt. Oh, yeah. Time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would love to see them just go full-on uh, dark baby face. Bray Wyatt and embrace that Undertaker style evil, Absolutely. Yeah. evil good guy, you know, <laughs> avenging demon type thing. Uh, yeah, there, there's something there. There's always been that something there. It's just a matter of doing it right. Uh, but anyways, um, yes, I mentioned before it is time to talk, talk about the main event of the evening before we wrap this thing up. It was a TLC triple threat match for the women's championship over on SmackDown. Asuka taking on Charlotte Flair, taking on the man. And the champion, Becky Lynch, arguably the most popular human being on either roster at this given point in time, and justifiably so. She's pretty fucking popular in my house, I'll put it that way, because I'm a big Becky Lynch fan, and uh, my my girlfriend, uh, Kirsty is very much into some Becky Lynch. Um, and I, I can't blame her, you know? I mean, uh, Becky's been just... Pardon the pun, I suppose, but Becky's been straight fire here lately. Just everything that she has been doing has been spot the fuck on. Uh, and tonight was really no different. I know that you're not traditionally a big fan of ladder matches, and TLC <laughs> is really nothing but a, a glorified ladder match. But, man, I thought that they did a hell of a job with this one this evening. I thought they told a great story just between everything that was going on, all the dynamics of this with Becky and Charlotte kind of having almost halfway kind of sort of made peace between their feud and now and everything that went on on Survivor Series. But really, there's, I mean, there's still that animosity there as to which one of them is better. And then you've got Asuka in the middle of it all who just has got something to prove. Who, as, you know, as they mentioned as she came down to the ring this evening, tonight marked one year since she debuted on the main roster. And God, it feels like a so much longer time that she's been around and wasted uh, but it has only been a year, um, and look at where Oscar was that year ago. Oscar was basically untouchable. Oscar was one of the the best things going on in the business, and you know potential 
next big thing in the women's division. And here we are a year later. She came into this as almost the afterthought, and justifiably so, because Charlotte, since she kind of got this edge to her uh, against Ronda last month, Charlotte has definitely been something worth watching, just like she always has been, but especially this last month. And as I mentioned, Becky Lynch, everything that she's touching is just gold. So um, it, a lot of interesting dynamics coming into play in this one. Uh, three very talented individuals. Uh, and again, with Becky arguably the hottest person in the company coming into this thing, with Charlotte really not that far behind her based on her performances over the course of the last month, and especially the last few months of pay-per-view. Becky and Charlotte, between the two of them, have had pay-per-view on lock for the last half of this year, uh, just regularly churning out arguably the best performances of the night. So this was one that not only deserved to be in the main event, but it was the match that I was most looking forward to. Um, and it, it delivered, I thought. It absolutely delivered, I thought. These guys beat the bejesus out of one another. Uh, the kendo stick shots were horrible. Uh, once again, my lady friend who is you know, born, raised in Germany, pissed off at the fact that the, for the third month in a row, they broke the German announce table. It's like, what the hell, guys? Why? Really? Really? That's what we're doing here? But yeah, uh, just uh, there was a lot of good in all of this and not much bad from my estimation, uh, even down to the end, uh, which was a little bit oh, uh, interesting. Let's put it that way. We've got Charlotte and Becky up top, and they're fighting back and forth trying to get to the championship, of course, uh, on top of the ladder. Um, and here comes Ronda Rousey out of the middle of nowhere. She walks down there, and, of course, she's got beef with both of them. Of course, you know, Becky attacked her and beat her up and then got her face broken. But then Charlotte continued that on the pay-per-view last month, Survivor Series, and just beat the sweet bejesus out of her. Uh, so she's got issue with both of these young ladies. She came down there, dumped them both off of the ladder. They fall to the outside. That opens the door for Asuka to climb up to the top and claim the SmackDown Women's Championship. So finally, after a year of being on the main roster, having a buttload of hype, seeing it all get flushed away, being wasted for months and months, not even being on television for a month or two, Asuka is not only back she is now the women's champion, and I would seem as though this evening, at least, no one was ready for Asuka. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought this was just a, a damn fun match. Um, but again, you're not usually a big fan of the ladders. Uh, what was your take on this one? It was all right. I love that. It, it it was good. I mean, I don't, I don't think they did anything particularly original um, in terms of as far as TLC matches go. It was the first ever women's TLC match, so that certainly counts for a great deal. Um, I, the standout moment for me was when Charlotte speared Asuka into the um, uh, the sort of the barrier in front of the timekeeper really area. Good. That was really, really good. Brutal sort of beast of a moment oh, for him. When, when Becky jumped off the top of the ladder and landed on Charlotte and it didn't break immediately, I, yeah. I, I thought Charlotte was done. I mean, it was a very physical match. I think I'm, I, I don't know. There's, there's, I'm feeling a little bit fatigued with the relentless uh histrionics between Becky and Charlotte at this point. I mean, they've been doing this now since SummerSlam. 
And I know a lot of people are digging it, and that's cool. Um, but, you know, there's just something about it where, you know, Becky's always running in the mouth and Charlotte's always running in the mouth. And it just feels like it's been happening relentlessly now for the better part of six months. And and I, I'm I'm feeling a little bit worried by it. Like I, I, like I want a little bit more variety or, you know, I guess I'm in a bit of a funk about this in the same way you are about Dean and Seth, but for alternative reasons. It's not because I feel like it's rushed. It's because I feel like it's been going on for a little too long. Um, and, you know, and then when in the match, when Charlotte was screaming at the crowd that it's her title and, <clears throat> you know, and then her and Becky were mouthing off each other at the start. It's like, okay, I get it. You know, I get it. You're impassioned and you, you know, you're the big I am. I understand it. You don't need to be quite so heavy handed with it. But um, overall, I'm absolutely delighted that uh, Asuka won um, because I'm a huge Asuka fan, more so than I am. I mean, I'm a big Becky fan as well. And I've always said that I felt like Becky was the best of those four so-called horsewomen from NXT. I always felt like Becky was the best in-ring hand out of the four of them. Um, but mainly, I'm a huge Asuka fan. And so to have seen her come in, and, it's, and, and in a similar way, do what the bar did in the tag team match, which was to yeah. sort of say, you know, sort of be there and say, look, you two can keep falling out if you want to, but I'm focused on being the champion. And if I need to beat, there's some sense into you both. And, and to make you shut up, that's what I'm going to do. And even though she kind of won because of Ronda's interference, there was definitely that vibe, particularly in the SmackDown when she kicked the crap out of them both with a kendo stick. Um, uh, and so I love the fact that she walked away as the champion. I love the shared universe use of Ronda Rousey coming in and, and picking that issue up with the two of them because this is the kind of stuff that you often see so WrestleMania stuff at Royal Rumble. I wrote a column a couple of weeks ago arguing that TLC, the December pay-per-view, really is the start of WrestleMania season rather than Royal Rumble. I stand by that, and I think you saw a, an, an amount of that tonight in setting up uh, the, the stories that we're going to be getting heading into Royal Rumble, which will then in turn set up the stories heading into WrestleMania. And this is a prime example of that, because there's rumors that we're going to get Ronda and Charlotte at Royal Rumble, headed towards uh, Ronda and Becky at Mania and stuff. Uh, and it's just all worked out really nicely, I think. Um, the match was good enough. I enjoyed it. I'm not sure it's it's quite as amazing as a lot of people are saying, because as far as TLC matches go, it didn't really do anything original and innovative other than be the first women's TLC match. In itself a big deal, but in terms of content, seen it all before, really. Um, and, uh, you know, I like I said earlier, I'm just I'm, I'm a bit fatigued at this point with the Charlotte back, you think? Uh I, I'm not. Um, I, I'm, you know, I can see where you're coming from, of course, with that. But I, I just, Charlotte is probably my favorite professional wrestler of the last two or three years, just in general. Uh, I've, I've loved just about everything that she's done, uh, with a few exceptions. I mean, there were some times like earlier this year where they were really not using her very well and stuff like that. But, and Becky has somebody who is, you know, uh, I've always dug her, but this year she has really, just really come into her own. I don't know if anybody has quite owned this year and the opportunity set in front of them quite as much as has Becky Lynch. Um, and of course, Asuka, I, mean, I, I love Asuka. Uh, I've, I've loved Asuka since the jump and I too, I, I, there's nobody that I would have wanted to see walk away with the title more than Asuka this evening. I, I really think that she deserved it more than anybody else. And, you know, yeah, but I, I I'm not sick of, of, of Charlotte and Becky yet. Um, and I, I'm wondering, what exactly this means. Uh, I mean, could it be a thing where, I mean, I don't know how in the hell we would get to Charlotte versus uh, Ronda at, at a Royal Rumble. Uh, 
they're just going to sign off on an interpromotional match, or is there going to be a title on the line, or is it, I don't know. Um, the logistics behind that have question marks surrounding it. I, I, I do think, though, that, I mean, I mean, with the Royal Rumble coming up, that kind of opens the door for potential debuts on the main roster. Um, and if that is the case, then we very well could be getting the whole four horsewomen versus four horsewomen thing that seems to have been incessantly talked about for the last couple of years. Um, this seems like a, a pretty damn good setup for that, actually. You've got two of the four horsewomen actively involved in and having an issue with Ronda. Um, now, what if, over on the other side of things, what if we were to get Bailey and Sasha involved in that? You know, what if they were to get involved and they're actively on the show with Ronda? They could serve as the proxies for the horsewoman on the raw side of things. Um, uh, the the story kind of writes itself if you allow it to. I just don't know if that's exactly where they're going. Um, I don't. I don't think it is. I think particularly because um, the, from the UFC horseman's perspective, obviously Shane has been around, Ron's been around, but the other two. I mean, they're only wrestling their debut match this week. I think. So I thought, I, I thought I, that they had been wrestling like house shows and shit. I don't maybe, know. Maybe, maybe they, I'm wrong they, about that. I don't know, but I know their debut match is only... But either way, I mean, even so, like, a WrestleMania main event, it seems a little soon for me, and I think... Well, they, I mean, we, we say I, that, I but, more, we say that, but point, Ronda was think, in one of the major WrestleMania main events in her very first match well, last yeah, year. <laughs> slightly different kettle of fish, though, because it's Ronda Rousey, and she's a far bigger mainstream name than the other three are in That's terms of, of the media, so it's a slightly different thing. And also, they set the seeds for that two years prior as well so um the other thing is as well you know that may very well write itself ronda and becky writes itself even easier oh, than one yes. at this point and i think that that seems to be the overwhelming uh direction that they absolutely should go particularly because the match at, at survivor series never happened i mean that was really yeah. what kind of almost guaranteed this in the first place was when becky had to be pulled from the survivor series oh absolutely a lot absolutely. of people were, were, were high on I tell you, I tell you where I think some of my consternation, some of my, my fatigue may come from, which is, I don't know how long Becky's popularity is going to stick. Not because she hasn't earned it or anything, but because we've been through this routine a lot of times over over the, you know, in the past in WWE particularly. And Daniel Bryan's not wrong when he says wrestling fans are fickle. Um, and whether Becky's popularity is something that's going to stick or whether it's just another case of 15 minutes of fame that people are going to get tired of come this time next year or sooner, I don't know. So, And, and she's getting hyped so much at this point that I guess that there's just an element of cynicism that's been beaten into me a little bit to, um, to, to almost instinctively kind of go, well, yeah, but it's just a flavor of the month. Yeah, there's that, but there's also again, this is WWE that we're dealing with here. There, it it, it goes without saying that at some point over the course of the next few months, they're going to mismanage her, uh, and that people will rally right to her defense behind it. Um, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that as soon as she's put in the back seat for anybody, people are going to be up in arms over it. Um, I. I brought up the whole four horsewomen thing not because I think that is the direction they should go in. It's just almost like a fear of the direction that they are going to go in because they do have them all under contract now, and they've definitely made hints towards it time and time again. Um, and you've got you know 
three of them involved in a thing against one another at this given point in time. That's almost half the lot kind of involved in, in a thing already. So it, I don't know, it just kind of makes sense, but I agree with you that if they're smart, then the money is to go with Becky versus Ronda at, uh, at the Rumble, uh, with Becky having won the Royal Rumble match. Um, or, I mean, I would even be down for, even, even though I would not so much enjoy an ending to the Rumble that would get us there, uh, I would not really mind Becky and Charlotte versus Ronda in a triple threat match. I think that would be pretty interesting, uh, even though we kind of saw, you know, that this evening with Asuka. Um, you know, it just, it, it would, it, the story behind us here kind of would support that almost. But I would prefer for the, I would prefer for the spotlight to be given more squarely to Becky without Charlotte kind of infringing upon it. Uh, Becky deserves it, and I think that she and Ronda can absolutely support it, and that Becky deserves the opportunity to prove that. Um, so th- there's a number of ways that they could go that I would be happy with. Um, I think that the one that I would be least happy with, frankly, would be the Four Horsewomen match. Uh, I, yeah. I'm, I think that should headline next year's uh, Evolution pay-per-view if they're going to do it. Um, why not? Uh, but it's, it's not something I'm necessarily feeling all that much right now, certainly. Uh, but it, it, I would not rule it out of the equation though. Uh, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that doesn't seem like we're going to be able to rule it out until it's finally done. Uh, but because I mean, if, if Charlotte's not invested in some way, shape, form or fashion, what the hell is she doing at WrestleMania this year? She, you know, she's not doing something insignificant. I mean, I guess she could have a rematch with Oscar. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it all depends on how they sell the, the title match with Ronda at the Rumble, if it happens, doesn't it? Um, right. And the gymnastics that would be required to, to, to somehow get there. But I I would be totally up for Charlotte versus Oscar 2 uh, sort of happening under Rousey versus versus Becky, uh, especially because Asuka presumably would go in as the champion this time. Right. And you could set it up differently to where, you know, now Charlotte's the one chasing or, you know, yeah, it's... There's some fun dynamics to play with there, but of course that leaves a bunch of other women who deserve time in the spotlight with kind of, you know, question marks beside their name. So it's, that's the way that it always goes, unfortunately, and we'll see how it all kind of works out in the end. But uh, I really enjoyed this match. Um, This was my favorite match of the night, honestly. Uh, I I really thought it was quite fun and the ending really made it for me. I was very happy to see Asuka get the victory ultimately. Uh, you weren't quite as gung-ho about it, of course, but that was to be expected. Again, you're not huge on the ladder matches and whatnot, and you do have a bit of burnout from Becky and Charlotte, so hey, that's understandable. Um, and, of course, I think that it was predestined that Ambrose versus Rollins was going to be your match of the night. Uh, but in talking about that aspect of all of this, it's time to wrap this thing up. What was your match of the night, and what was kind of your overall impression of TLC 2018? Do you think that it kind of put a nice little bow on the uh, on the year and, and set us up nicely for what will hopefully be a reformative 2019 or was it just kind of a show that happened uh well i mean you're asking some big questions there uh, i first instinct is more the latter that it was just a show that happened um time is obviously going to tell whether some of the changes that they have intimated that this evening play out especially on raw with vince turning up and whatnot, and as we get a stronger idea of what the card at Royal Rumble is going to look like, uh, and who's in the Rumble match and so forth. Um, I mean, this evening, uh, just to, just to kind of to, to outline that a little bit, instead of just me saying it, uh, we determined that we're going to have a new authority figure on Monday Night Raw moving forward. Uh, we have a new women's champion over on SmackDown. 
we have um, uh, what was the uh, oh, a new Intercontinental Champion and a, kind of a different changing of pace uh, as we see with with uh, Ambrose and Rollins moving forward. So there were a few shifts that happened over the course of the evening. A lot of other stuff stayed kind of stock, but there were a few shifts. Uh, by the way, uh, one thing that I forgot to mention earlier is appreciating that it wasn't the uh, headlining match. It wasn't the last match on the card, but it was the last men's match on the card. By my book, that means Seth Rollins is now the only man in history to have ever gotten the Intercontinental Championship into two men's pay-per-view main events ever. Okay. So, so greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. And right. uh, so, yeah, but I, I like to say, you know, it's it's how everything plays out from this point onwards that, that matters. I had hoped for an event that could signal this era, whatever era we may be in, be working towards a maturation point at WrestleMania this year. There's not been quite enough clarity in tonight's booking for me to be able to make that determination, but there's been enough for me to look forward to giving it another rewatch. Uh, this is about as political an answer as I could possibly give, isn't it? Um, and uh, so, yeah, in terms of match of the night, you know, first time around, I would say I actually enjoyed Brian versus Styles the most. Um, because Ambrose versus Rollins did stay at that one pace. Uh, but having said that, that could all change, obviously, when I go back in and rewatch, especially because I think Rollins and Ambrose is the kind of match, just in the way it feels like it was designed, that will reward rewatches where you'll pick up on stuff you may have missed. Yeah, I mean, I think with rewatches, you'll be getting extra nuance and stuff that'll. Yeah. You know, especially watching with the kind of eye that you tend to watch with, especially as it pertains to this storyline, you know, you're going to start seeing the little things that they did in between that that really kind of help the story along, um, which is cool. I mean, that's that's the whole point of really digging into this stuff and watching it with as critical an eye as we sometimes do. It's is that you get to enjoy the fruits of those labors from time to time when you see the the real performances that the guys that these guys are putting in between. The, the big stuff that plays to the back of the crowd. You know what I mean? Uh, there's little stuff, too, that you get to dig into. And I, I, I don't know how I feel about you know the questions I just asked you when presented yeah. to me. I, I, I think that there could be a mix. Uh, and maybe it is just a show that happened. But I'm, I'm oddly enough, I feel myself being a little bit inclined towards the, the other way. Uh, maybe this is kind of the beginning of a little bit of a shift. Um, it seems that... Whether it's for good or for bad, I suppose, remains to be seen, but it seems as though there at least been some acknowledgement from the inner workings in WWE that what is happening at the moment is not working. Um, Seth Rollins' promo from the other night uh, a couple weeks ago, that so-called quote-unquote halfway shoot promo or whatever the fuck people are talking about online, uh, it it was what it was, but it was all – they wouldn't let him say that, you know, if if there wasn't something to it, and it seems almost as though – Baron Corbin is playing kind of almost on-screen scapegoat for the creative team or something like that. Um, because Baron Corbin is certainly not responsible for some of the things that, that Seth Rollins accused him of being responsible for. Um, so it's, it, that's an interesting dynamic. And to see him now, you know, presumably Vince is going to come out there and give the old you're fired and, and I guess appoint someone new, or maybe they're going to make us wait for that. You know, I mean, that, that would be a very WWE thing to do. Make us wait till next week to find out who the new authority figure is going to be and speculate about it and all that crap. Um, or maybe they're just announced someone new. Either way, it, it seems like that is potentially a turn in the right direction. 
um, at least from where we've been recently. Um, the whole thing with Oscar becoming the champion, at least that's going to, it looks like it would presumably maybe pull it away a little bit from Lynch and Flair, which, I mean, I, I'm not sick of it yet, but I can understand why other people may be, and I would hate for it to be a situation like Uso's New Day, where the title just gets tied up between two entities. You know, uh, you don't just want to see the back and forth between two entities for the title over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So Asuka being interjected into the mix of that, very much like the bar, as you said, uh, works uh, and, and does a good job to really kind of, I think it does a service to the division um, to have Asuka as the champion at this given point in time. Um, and some of the other stuff that's going on, I mean, hey, I mean, uh, maybe it means we're moving in the right direction. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Uh, all I do know is that this was a this this was not a bad show. Uh, it was kind of stock in some areas. There were more than a few things on here that I didn't really have a huge investment in, but there was nothing on here that I was just out like outright like that sucked. You know, uh, even I mean, you weren't too keen on Randy Orton and and, and Rey Mysterio, but even I was able to take some stuff from that that was like okay, I can appreciate what they're trying to do at least. You know, and I dig it. I do dig what they're trying to do with Randy Orton's character. I just I don't believe in Randy Orton's execution of it. <laughs> um, so that kind of is what that is. But, you know, it, it, it was it was an interesting night uh, to cap off an interesting year. It was a mixed bag of a pay-per-view to cap off a mixed bag of a year. There were good things. There were bad things. There were hopeful things. There were things that make you scratch your head and go, fuck, what are we doing? And I think that that really explains and, and describes 2018 kind of in a nutshell for the most part. So I guess it was really a fitting way to end the pay-per-view year for WWE. I think you summed it up brilliantly. So, yeah, so that's kind of that. Um, uh, at the moment, as I mentioned, uh, towards the top of the show, I, I'm, I'm quite busy. Um, I work at a, a – I don't like to name names on these programs because I'm sure that those – Entities out there that I that employ me don't necessarily want to be attached to everything that I say and do. Um, but I, I'll just say I work for a major shipping corporation, and uh, so of course one can imagine that this, the holiday season, is our busiest time of the year, uh, and that is extremely, extremely way fucking true. Uh, I, I've been basically killing myself for the last month, um, and that's not going to change for the duration of what remains for the month. So. You know, that kind of is what that is. But hopefully by the time we get to the Royal Rumble, December 27th, we're more than a month away from it now. January time, Pardon me. I, I apologize. January 27th. By the time we get to that point, things will definitely have leveled out for me a little bit. And uh, maybe we'll be back in the mix a little bit more with you hearing more from me here on LOP Radio in general and, uh, and all that good stuff. I was actually kind of worried that I might miss this show this evening. Uh, but it wound up working out okay, and, and here I am, you know. So, um, as always, it is an absolute joy to be able to do these programs. I love doing these shows, and I can't wait until I'm able to have a little bit more interaction here on LOP Radio just as a whole. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, we we will be putting together an after show, I mean, a retro shock here before too long. I promise you that. It at this point, it's looking like it might be shortly after the first of the year, so apologies that we kind of took a couple of months off on it. But, I mean, schedules are what they are, I suppose, unfortunately. Real life often intrudes upon uh, some things. But 
uh, yeah, maybe that'd be kind of a fun way to kick off the new year, uh, you know, sometime around the first of the year, uh, you know, maybe that first week or so. We can kind of aim loosely towards that. We'll see how it all works out. Uh, but, yeah, well, there, will be, there will be another retro shot coming your way within the month of January, I would almost guarantee. Uh, but in between now and then, well, there's plenty of plan out there. Uh, where can they catch you, my friend? <laughs> I think the easy question at this point is where can they not catch me? I guess. Um I you Wednesdays on Lords of Pain Radio, my show Sports Entertainment is Dead goes out like clockwork. Um I will be doing um the TLC performance art review this coming Wednesday. The Wednesday after that I've got the doc on as a special guest and we're gonna be debating our polar opposite philosophies when it comes to pro wrestling. Um and then the week after that I'll be doing another two hour special. The doc is a two hour special and the week after that, another two-hour special, I'll be announcing my picks for matches of the year. The right side of the pond goes out every Friday. You can regularly catch me on there. I'm not on there every week, but I am most weeks. Obviously, Aftershock, every pay-per-view, Retroshock, when they go out. You can also catch my columns, just business, on lordsofpain.net, uh, which go out anywhere between once, twice, sometimes up to three times a week. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter, at LLP Plan, on Facebook. Just look up Samuel Plan, or best yet, Sign up to LOP forums and find me on yes. there. Um, it's a great community. Legitimately changed my life after I signed up 10 years ago for the better, I might add. Uh, and, uh, you know, especially because we want, we want new blood. We want new writers to come along and try their hand and write columns and be a part of the column writing community we have there. So if you've ever had any uh, thoughts or opinions of an extended nature on at the back of any of these shows or any, any WWE show or anything, whether it's NJPW, you name it, go and try your hand at writing a column. It's a great bunch of folks. They'll give you plenty of constructive criticism. They'll discuss what you want to discuss, uh, and you honestly won't regret it. No, absolutely not. The forums are awesome. Uh, my only request would be that you hit me up on Twitter, at Stephen F. and Bell, or on Facebook, or just any way you can get a hold of me, uh, just by clicking the Contact Us tab at the bottom of the forums page. Uh, when you do sign up, hit me up and let me know what your username is. Uh, we are experiencing a massive issue with spam on the forums, and there doesn't really – I cannot figure out how to stop it. Uh, so I, I, I've kind of got things set to where um, you, you can't just sign up and immediately start posting. You have to be approved uh, because otherwise we would just be inundated with Viagra and, hey, buy an iPhone for $2 and that kind of bullshit. Um, it, it would it the forums would be nothing but spammers uh, if I left it unchecked, unfortunately. And if I could figure out a way to fix it, I definitely would. But in the meantime, please hit me up and let me know what your username is so that I can get you approved uh, and, and and posting to your little heart's content. And we would very much like to have you as a part of the community there on LOP forums. Again, uh, Stephen F and Bell on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook as well. Just look for uh, LOP Radio's Stephen Bell. And, uh, yeah, there's lots of different ways to get a hold of me. I'm sure they're pretty easy to find. And I, I, I've absolutely enjoyed being a part of this show here, and I will enjoy being a part of it again here in the not-too-distant future. I'm looking forward to, once again, as I said, taking a little bit more active role once more here on LOP Radio. And hopefully that will be coming along around the first of the year. We shall see. Uh, speaking of the first of the year, um, for the last like four or five years in a row, actually, uh, three or four, I think it has been, actually, uh, I have done my own year-end awards. Uh, up until now, they've been called the Shifties um, because of, you know, I used to do a show called The Late Shift. 
Maybe they'll still be the Shifties. I don't know. Maybe they'll the be the Uh Yeah. Uh, who knows what they would be called if I am able to put together a show this year, but uh, I, hopefully I'll be able to put together a show this year. Uh, we'll see. Um, but keep your eyes kind of peeled for that. If uh, if I'm able to, I'll be making an announcement on Twitter and stuff. So, yeah, just solo shock. Yeah, yeah, solo shock. That's my impersonation of the music. Uh, the the badoodle-nana, that's, that's the most important part. It's great. I, I, that I found personally, you know, shut up and sit down. I'll I'll, I'll start calling you Andy. From Andy. Andy. Oh, that's it. No, beautiful. Okay, never mind. <sighs> His catchphrase is Oh, okay, okay. Well, I think that about does it. Uh, we're we're making random sound effects into our microphones at this point. Uh, so let's just. I think it's got time to call it an evening. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, we appreciate you guys listening. Thank you for uh, uh, another great year of LOP Radio and a great year of Aftershock and everything. Uh, I've been doing this for in excess of five years now, and it has been an absolute joy. Thank you, as always, for supporting this show and this radio network. Uh, we greatly, greatly appreciate it, and I personally appreciate it as well. Um, and yeah, that'll just about do it for us. Um, yeah, uh, you guys take care of yourselves out there in the really real world until we get together to do this again. And remember that nothing is trivial, all right? All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Seth Rollins is not Batman. Totally is Batman. It's totally not Batman. Totally Batman. Not Batman. Batman. Not, no. Not Batman. No take backs. Thank <laughs> you.